Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prendeville for a final day. He's back tomorrow morning after a well-deserved short break. It's brewing up a storm. We're back to the weather. After just reading the weather, it's all over the papers today. There's a grim forecast for the week ahead. Meta Aaron have warned that our weather is set to take a grim turn. Heavy showers, even thunder, possible this week after a largely settled weekend for most areas. Conditions will become increasingly unsettled in the coming days. However, there is some hope for a return to warmer and sunnier conditions. Expert Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather explained that we could see a high-pressure system move in from the middle of next week. So if you're off for the first two weeks of August, uh, maybe not a good first week, maybe a much better second week. A Met Aaron forecaster said uh, that uh, starting largely dry, hazy sunny spells and a few well-scattered showers, this has now changed. The official uh, Met Aaron forecast is giving for more rain than they would have yesterday. And uh, it looks as though showers are going to become isolated uh, around the coasts of Cork and uh, early in the night clear spells will develop but we are in line for some thunder and thunderstorms. Um, the boss of the HSE says we're four weeks ahead of our schedule. Paul Reid uh, expects 280,000 teens to get the vaccine in the next fortnight. Ireland is at least four weeks ahead of its vaccination program, said Paul Reid yesterday. HSE chief added he's been blown away by the crowds of young people who queued up in the rain on a bank holiday to get their injection. The opposite would seem to be the case, if I heard correctly, in Northern Ireland, where they are very, very disappointed with the level of uptake from 18s to 25. Pressure on priests over communion is the main headline in the Mail front page today. Division among clerics on government ban as parents vent frustration over delays. Priests are coming under fierce pressure to hold confirmations and First Holy Communions despite having serious concerns about their safety during the Delta wave. Frustrated parents are pushing to have the special day for their children following delays. But there's now uh, a bit of a furore between clerics within the church over whether these family events should be going ahead at all. Father Tim Hazelwood, a spokesman for the Association of Catholic Priests, said the moral authority of the church was being put at risk by some bishops who have decided to defy public health measures. The independent front page has said, or is saying today, masks will be needed well beyond Christmas. A leading health expert is advocating for wearing face masks until well after Christmas. Professor of Public Health at Dublin City University, Anthony Staines, said wearing a mask was a minor inconvenience but was necessary and could become a permanent change in our behaviour like in Asian cultures. I would continue to wear a mask well after Christmas. Uh, to make it unnecessary, we need to bring viral transmission and case numbers down a lot. It's a minor inconvenience, but COVID-19 is definitely not. And 5 to 10% of young people will have serious long-term effects and about 7 to 10% of old people. Uh, bar owner, sorry for bragging about 15,000 euro COVID payments. Uh, this is making huge ground on social media over the weekend. Uh, in fact, you couldn't get away from it. And the bar owner in question admits the gloating was insensitive. A bar and restaurant owner has apologised after he was caught on video saying he wanted the pandemic to continue due to the level of financial support he has received. Tony Campion, owner of the Silver Key Pub and Restaurant in Ballinlock, was filmed in the outdoor area of his business saying he hoped COVID would continue for another decade to facilitate him buying a place in Barbados. The video, which was filmed without his consent or knowledge, was shared widely on social media over the weekend. Uh, Mr. Campion said he was paying out far less in wages since the pandemic broke out, uh, as he is down 24 staff members from 64 
to 40. Uh, he added, my payroll is about 18,500 euro per week. It was about 32,000 a week. And the Irish government gives me 15,000 euros back every week in a government subsidy. Mr. Campion posted a statement on the Silver Key Facebook page apologising for his remarks. I believe that's taken down now. Uh, but he said, um, they say that when drink is in, sense is out. And boy, uh, has this wise old phrase echoed ever so loudly for me over the past few days. Recently, during a private party at my premises, I insensitively bragged about payments relating to COVID. At the time, uh, I believed this to be a bit of inebriated banter among friends. What I said was wrong, and I'm sorry for it. I've been under a lot of anxiety and stress since the death of my father and mother-in-law, all happening during COVID. And Mr. Campion said he understood the suffering many people uh, of many people uh, during the pandemic, adding, I wholeheartedly apologize for any upset caused by anyone, caused to anyone, by my comments. This also makes the Irish Examiner public and sorry for insensitively bragging. Uh, a Cork publican and restaurateur has apologised after he was caught insensitively bragging about COVID-19 supports he received from the government. And uh, the Vintners Federation of Ireland, VFI, says it does not comment on issues specific to any given publican. Uh, however, it's important to recognise the majority of pubs have not been allowed to trade for almost 500 days from March 15th, 2020, except for a 16-day window in September last year. And the VFI said, and since reopening last month, the capability to trade has been significantly restricted by the requirement to adhere to social distancing and the inability to use the bar counter for seating purposes. Put simply, publicans cannot cater for the normal number of customers. It said government support has been vital to the continued existence of most sectors, not just pubs, and also said currently... The Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, EWSS, is the most important support to the recently reopened VFI businesses. On average, each pub nationwide uh, employs approximately seven people. That's 7,100 pubs. And uh, the level of EWSS on average uh, is vital uh, because it uh, it goes in some way to compensate for reduced pass- uh, capacity uh, and increased costs. Bars to stay with the topic, uh, and by the way, I'd love to talk to Tony Campion if he wants to come on the air and explain uh, exactly what happened and uh, why the apology was up and then down, and uh, would welcome him if he wants to come on, absolutely no problem. But pubs have been pestered for heeding COVID rules. This is something that was happening in Dublin uh, a week, ten days ago. It now seems to have arrived in Cork. Some Cork pubs that will not admit customers without a COVID cert- uh, vaccine certificate are being threatened with boycotts online. The chairman of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, Michael O'Donovan, of the Castle Inn on South Main Street said such threats have been received by him and other publicans across Cork in the past week. Those critical of the introduction of the vaccine certificates have accused publicans of promoting apartheid and discrimination, according to Mr. O'Donovan. He said uh, that he was uh, has stopped posting updates uh, to his business Twitter page because of the abuse. The manager of the Harp Bar in Ballyfihan, Michael Cunahan, said that while the business is following the law as best we can, online abuse has been directed at the bar. He said comments have been coming from Dublin, Tyrone and Galway, for example. They've been talking about discrimination because we're following the guidelines and obeying the law. You can check that out in the Echo as well. Uh, The Times UK says cocktails after a hard day at home drive a huge rise in the sales of spirits. Now, this is across the water, but I imagine it must be emulated here as well. There's not been an abundance of sunshine, but summer cocktails are flying off the shelves as months of working from home have turned Britain into a nation of amateur mixologists. I wonder, is it happening here? Supermarkets are recording a huge increase in sales of spirits used in aperitifs, with home workers using the time gained 
not having to commute, to create sundowners before dinner. And wouldn't it be nice to have a sundowner rather than be sitting in traffic uh, and thinking about having one? Waitrose says that sales of Aperol, an Italian aperitif, are up 148%. But as I say, that's across the water in Britain. The Echo also has post-cardiac waiting list now at 2,800. A Cork frontline worker has expressed grave concern about the future of post-cardiac care in Ireland as more than 2,800 remain on waiting lists for rehabilitation. Cardiac Rehab Coordinator Irene Murphy spoke about the potential impact of those affected. And this comes after a warning from the Irish Heart Foundation that life-saving rehabilitation for heart patients is now in absolute crisis. You can check it out in the Echo. Farmers have been singled out on climate change, according to the uh, examiner. Uh, Farmers unfairly singled out and blamed for climate change. And consumers will have to take greater responsibility for emissions, Agriculture Minister Charlie McConnellogue says, uh, has said. Mr. McConnellogue said the debate around our agricultural sector, which accounts for one third of carbon emissions, has been one-sided and misinformed. It comes as Mr. McConnellogue is due to bring legislation to establish the food ombudsman, which would look at the margins farmers get for their uh, produce. The examiner also has called to stop the use of church's sex ed resources. Jess Casey is the examiner's education correspondent and says that sex education resources for Catholic primary schools could form negative views among children towards some sexualities and identities or towards themselves. Academics have warned a group of university staff from across the country have called for a halt to the introduction of Flourish, a relationships and sexuality education resource developed by the Irish Bishops' Conference for Catholic Primary Schools. Introductory documents published this year set out that while RSE, which is the Relationship and Sexual Education uh, in Catholic schools, should affirm that every human being is loved by God as they are, the Church's teaching in relation to marriage between a man and a woman cannot be omitted. Brexit and uh, climate change drive up the price of used cars. You'll have heard Kira in the news uh, reporting on this, that uh, Brexit, the climate change uh, and uh, the induced cold weather in Texas, droughts in Taiwan, and even the blockage of some Suez Canal, uh, of the Suez Canal with that big ship. Just some of the factors credited with contributing to what Dundeal says is a 40% rise in the price of used cars in the space of a year. And the EU is to crack down on large cash payments, anti-money laundering or AML laws banning purchases over €10,000 are likely to raise privacy concerns. Cash payments over €10,000 for transactions such as car purchases Home improvements or funeral bills will be banned within three years under new EU rules. The EU legislation is being considered in a bid to clamp down on cross-border money laundering on a wider European basis. And the move could impact a large section of society who choose to operate solely on a cash basis. Irish EU Commissioner Mairead McGuinness, who is responsible for strengthening anti-money laundering laws, says a much broader view of the problem must be taken beyond large-scale businesses and banks. Ms. McGuinness said the focus must now go on things such as car purchases, jewellery, antiques, and even more unusual items like funeral charges. So that, for example, a funeral service above €10,000 would have to be paid through card or via a bank. It's a high threshold, as on average funerals in Ireland cost between 3000 and 7500 But some businesses prefer to deal in cash only to avoid paying tax on income. However, rules dictating how people can spend money 
are likely to raise privacy and rights concerns. It's either legal tender or it's not legal tender, I guess. Uh, the latte levy is to come in by early next year. A tax of up to one euro is on the cards for disposable coffee cups. And anyone who sells coffee in volume will tell you that the major cost of the uh, dispensing of coffee is the actual container. That's why uh, lots of businesses uh, are giving you a discount if you bring your own cup. The government's pushing for an, uh, an introduction of a latte levy on disposable coffee cups by early next year. I want to do one more. There's a call to get on board the Lifeboat Fundraiser, and uh, it's always good to support these causes because uh, safety of life at sea is paramount, of course, and the public is being used, uh, being urged to be there for Baltimore with a new fundraising initiative in aid of the Arnali Baltimore Lifeboat. And uh, this makes the echo uh, front page and inside as well as COVID-19 restrictions ease activities ashore and at sea are increasing. The public is being asked to be there for Baltimore Lifeboat, just like the lifeboat has been there for them. RNLI Baltimore Lifeboat has been active throughout COVID-19, answering call-outs and remaining on full alert standby to maintain rescue services for islanders off West Cork, for the public and for those whose lives and living uh, are derived from the sea. And picture to be there for Baltimore uh, on the Echo is uh, Catherine Mar Thornton, uh, of the uh, fundraising committee, Annie Baker from Bush's Barn, John O'Brien, the chair of fundraising, and Aidan Bush from Baltimore uh, Lifeboat. He is the cox of uh, Baltimore Lifeboat. Met Aidan yesterday, actually. Uh, enjoyed a bevy outside of his bar. They're not doing indoor service, as many, many of the bars in West Cork. took a trip on the water down west over the weekend. Uh, tell you a little bit more about that later on. But best wishes to uh, Aidan uh, and to all who are uh, serving the public in a very, very busy Baltimore yesterday. Let's hope you get the weather over the next few weeks uh, to make the most of what's left of the summer. But those are the morning papers. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco, why not try shopping at off-peak times when you are less likely to queue? And good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show to our phone line straight away and to Dermot O'Leary uh, from the NBRU. In 20, uh, 2013, there were approximately 280 anti-social behaviour incidents on Irish rail services. That's increased year on year, culminating in 2,300 in uh, 2020, a year when capacity was 25% for most of the year, 50% sporadically, of course. The situation apparently is in danger of, if it hasn't already passed, spiralling out of control. And Dermot O'Leary joins us from the NBRU. Good morning, Dermot. Good morning, Mick. We have had several uh, reports of incidences. One, uh, which is just just beggars believe, passengers openly doing lines of cocaine off tables on the Dublin Cork train. Uh, has this been something you've been aware of for long? Yeah, it has indeed. And actually, I spoke to Neil uh, last year in relation to that. Uh, one of those issues and similar to that. There was a video going around at the time of people starting coke off of train tables. Look, the people that I represent on the front line and look, people that travel between Cork and Dublin know what, what are known as train hosts, particularly uh, revenue protection people have been witness this type of behaviour for a long, long time. You quote a figure back to 2013. And again, it's mostly the army feature of that. Increase year on year as last year, as you, as you outlined in your opening, in terms of the 2,300 in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and the situation, it's, it's actually spiraled out of control. And people that I represent who used to enjoy going to work, some of who used to work in the, in the catering that people would be familiar with long ago, uh, good friends of mine worked there, uh, used to go to work with a smile on their face, mate. They're going to work now and are terrified, to be honest with you. And again, look, I've been on this show and many other shows calling for a dedicated Garda Public Transport Division, uh, blue in the face and calling for it. The evidence stacks up day on day, unfortunately. Uh, and really, in, 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 in talking to a radio station in Cork, 
this morning where we have three senior ministers around the cabinet table, it does beg a belief that these people cannot understand what's going on despite calls from us in the MBRU. And indeed, uh, we have support from the Garda representative bodies in the AGSI, for example, in relation to, to creating that special force. Mm-hmm. Uh, openly using drugs, plastic bags containing drugs on the table, consuming them openly, drunken behaviour, threatening behaviour. One 19-year-old girl said three teenage boys continuously threatened her and made inappropriate sexual comments and also said that one of the boys said he would hit her with a bottle and a machete if she did not speak to him. Yeah, again, look, what you're relating to me is something that's been related to me, as I said, almost on a daily basis at this stage. And again, look, there was an Irish Times journalist last year did a piece on the dark line in Dublin uh, and experiencing the exact same things that that poor, unfortunate girl suffered uh, in the in the in the incident you're mentioning. So again, it's widespread. There there was a time if you could, you know, I suppose highlight hotspots around the country where the type of behaviour was occurring, but it's now it's now occurring far and wide across, you know, urban, rural. And again, look, I suppose the only way you're going to solve this is to if there was a dedicated Garda public transport division that people were aware existed, you won't get a Garda every train, of course, but if they were aware that it existed, then it might reduce some of that behaviour. Some of the more serious crime around drugs, I suppose, is, you know, it's, it, it's a reflection of society at large, I suppose. But again, look, as I said, we're at a stage where people are afraid to go to work. Passengers, in, in some cases, you know, avoid trains, avoid buses as well. I mean, it's not, it's, it happens on buses as well. And I suppose at a time when we have a Green Party in government, and we're quite rightly calling for people to start using public transport, it doesn't bode well or doesn't send out a very good message to do that. Okay, um, I've also uh, been given a report from Cork Bio on the 19th of June that the uh, train to Houston had to end the journey at Thurless. Antisocial behaviour on board caused a technical issue. Imagine that's somebody pulling the emergency cord, probably. Uh, Cork train stuck in Thurless on the way to Dublin. Antisocial behaviour broke out on board. Guardy called to the scene. It was the 16.30 train from Cork to Houston. Stopped at Thurless and uh, the train with passengers on board stalled then at Thurless uh, because the uh, service then ultimately failed at Thurless. The journey could yeah. not continue due to a technical fault caused by antisocial behaviour. And that means yeah, all the passengers uh, had to be transferred to alternative services. That's yeah, costly. They, they didn't do it's crazy, but you see, look, I suppose that's one of those occasions where it probably went wrong in the end, but the Gardaí, you know, there is a good relationship between Irish Rail and the Gardaí, but unfortunately, you know, you're relying on Gardaí from bigger stations that are operating throughout the day and night, you know, to come to call. I mean, obviously, that is a social behaviour incident. I'm aware of it, actually. It happened before Taurus, so Taurus was the nearest station where the Gardaí could board. And again, I suppose, look, the gather resources are stretched as it is. There would need to be a budget for any type of dedicated gather public transport division. But just to give you a flavour of other jurisdictions in the UK where the rail was at seven times the size of the rail here, the budget for the British Transport Police is well, back in 2019 was 318 million, 380 million pounds. Now, if you have to replicate that type of budget on a pro rata basis, you're talking about 45 million pounds. You can do the math on, on, on your euros, 50 million euro. That would go a long way uh, to a budget for a dedicated Garda Public Transport Division. But that's the UK. And the experience in the UK, Mick, and indeed Canada, uh, and the likes of small pockets of Italy, is that the, the existence of a dedicated uh, police force on transport has reduced some of the behaviour we're witnessing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in, I won't mention the, the, the place, I was in a West Cork village over the weekend, and there was an amazingly strong Garda presence. Uh, not just the, um, you know, the normal Garda car, if you like, but also the armed response unit, Okay. Driving up and down, essentially one of the most peaceful villages in uh, in Ireland, uh, because the, and I'm only surmising, there's a very very senior member of government uh, that, that that was there. It, it was kind of over the top. It, it was it was just too visual. 
Um, you know, everyone is relaxing, having fun. Everyone's out to, uh, outdoors. And this very, very heavy guard of presence, which must cost a lot of money. Uh, and couldn't, they, well, couldn't it be better deployed to keep people safe on trains? Well, again, look, understanding the machinations of, of the political, you know, uh, environment and there's certain people in the same position have that guard of protection and it does, I suppose, in a small village, and I know what you're talking about, it does in a small village become very high profile in that scenario. But again, all I'd say to, the, to, to that is, go back to the point I made at the outset, uh, that's a senior politician sitting around the cabinet table, the most senior in the country, in fact, uh, and he knows what the guard protection do, it does and has to do for his office. So again, he's familiar with how Gary operates. So I, I, I think he probably would be in a better position uh, to advocate for a Gary Public Transport Division, and indeed make his vote to the Portland government that he's actually and others are operating under does have a section on anti-social behaviour, not necessarily on transport, but a, a, as a society issue. I thought we'll give him more powers to Gary. And again, that's the kind of area we need to focus in on. And again, people listening to this show, and they've heard me many, many times, you know they have, uh, and maybe sick of listening to me at this stage, but they would, you know, they should talk to their politicians. I mean, it doesn't need to be a thing, a minister that brings us to the, to the fore or to the table in Dalian. But certainly something needs to give her. But I've said this many times as well. Uh, are those politicians waiting for someone to be seriously injured or worse? And uh, then start hand wringing and, and touching about, you know, behaviour that caused such a serious injury. I hope that doesn't ever happen. I heard you, Dermot, at one point doing an interview on News Talk and, uh, on which you said the uh, Cork Dublin line is like a drug route at this stage. Uh, and even your members certainly know who the drug mules and drug dealers are. That's correct. And again, look, I mean, look, there are certain issues which are above, you know, the antisocial behaviour that we're, we're witnessing on a regular basis. There are some issues that are serious crime. That's one of those ones, serious crime. And in fairness to the guards, and I wouldn't be familiar for obvious reasons with their operations, but certainly they have had some successes on that line. But I suppose, you know, there, there's so much of activity around drugs these days in this country, and again, worldwide, that it's hard to pin down and hard to catch everybody. But there has been some, success, some successes. And, you know, you'd read the, the, the Echo there or the Examiner or other newspapers, you see some of the cases. But yeah, our members quite well know who's the, who's the one on the train. Uh, our members avoid some of those people because they're shady characters, for want of a better way of putting it. And again, yes, they have described it. And I've only relaying what they're describing it. They've described it as a drug corridor, uh, the Cork Dublin Line. Uh, again, there's a lot of connections. Off of, the, off of that service, as you know, into other large urban areas. Still, Dermot, would it be fair to say that 26 complaints over 18 months would indicate that the vast majority of journeys occur without incident? I look, again, uh, we, I mean, I'm a Barry Kinney, a Flourish Rail, in this issue, and, you know, often Barry would have a spat about, you know, industrial relations issue. We agree on a lot of issues here. Uh, the only problem I have is beyond Irish Rail is in the government. I mean, Irish Rail have increased their budget for private security, which, look, let's be honest, the private security firm don't have the powers of detention and arrest. There is no ultimate sanction. Uh, their budget is north of five million now. And I just mentioned earlier uh, the British Transport Police budget and, and what it would be relative to, to their budget in this country if we were to prorate it. So, look, Irish Rail are doing their best with limited resources. They're doing the best in an environment that doesn't have that dedicated Gallup Public Transport Division. Uh, and again, look, I suppose the successes of the guards on the drug side of things, you know, while it's admirable, it just doesn't work. It, it doesn't protect or it doesn't give a warmth or comfort to feeling that or feeling to people that are working in the industry and those that are, that are currently using it and those that we'd like to use it. Okay. Uh, we leave it there. Dermot O'Leary, NBRU spokesperson. Thanks very much and uh, the best nice of luck to your members and I hope they can operate Thank in their you. jobs in a safe manner. Thanks very much, Dermot. Thank you, mate. Okay. Transport police, do we need them? Do we need them for the Cork to Dublin and Dublin to Cork trains? Uh, your calls and comments are welcome. one eight five zero one zero four one zero six or on text at 86 our email, the standard show email is neil at redfm.ie. Now I want before I take a commercial break to get to this email which was up on our social over the weekend and got a huge 
huge reaction. Hi, Mick. I just wanted to share my experience of flying home from France recently. While I am so grateful to have gotten away on a bit of a break, it ended in tears, quite literally. I am married to a Frenchman, and after not having seen his family for over two years, we decided to book as soon as we got our digital certs. He is staying over there for another couple of weeks, as he has business to attend to. We have a three-month-old baby girl, who I must say I was nervous about on the flight. However, she was so good on the way over. However, after a long, long wait in departures, she got so unsettled. I had no help, as my husband wasn't with me. I tried to calm her before we got on the plane, and she did settle somewhat. But as soon as we got on the runway, she started to cry. I did see some people look around at me, some with empathy and some not. One person in particular was very nasty to me. She was a lady in her 60s who asked me to quieten down my child if possible. I told her I was trying to do so. She kept looking back, rolling her eyes and started talking about me to the person next to her. I couldn't control my baby. How can anyone control a baby in a situation like this? She then went went on to humiliate me, standing up and asked rather loudly could she be seated elsewhere to get away from the roaring that it was ruining her holiday. I was so embarrassed, ashamed and helpless. What made the whole thing worse is I heard her say, who in their right mind would bring a baby on a plane? Not everyone's circumstances are the same, but someone like this obviously has no idea what it's like being a new mum. I just hope any of your listeners who read this may have some more of an understanding for parents who are travelling with babies uh, when they read my story. Your calls on that, uh, of course, are welcome as well. one 850 and by text on 086-8104-106. We have some social media reaction as well, quite strong actually, uh, that we'll get to during the course of the programme. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And a very good morning to you at 24 minutes to uh, 10. Now, my good old buddy, Pat Falvey, who's not just conquered Everest once, but conquered it twice, and also the South Pole, and of course runs uh, adventure and uh, positive development courses and all that kind of thing from his base uh, near Killarney, uh, is doing podcasts lately, and I took some time over the weekend to catch up on one of them. Uh, and it really, really caught my attention, and I really wanted to speak to the guy that Pat Falvey was talking to. The uh, podcast was about a guy losing 12 stone and conquering Quran Tool. And I'm glad to uh, have uh, that very person uh, on the line that spoke to Pat Falvey, and that is Thomas Fortune. Hi, Thomas. Hi, how's it going? You well? I'm very, very good. Now, what, what, what really caught me about the, um, the podcast with Pat Falvey mm. was uh, the fact that you started off life loving sport, loving activity, being the captain Absolutely. of your local football team or whatever it yeah. was. Uh, and then degree by degree, you started to, to gain a little bit of weight. Mm. And, and really what came across is, I suppose, the acceptance of uh, an ever-slipping, yes. worse diet that will bring you to a place where you believe you're never, ever going to get back. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and, and 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 as you said, it is. It's it's genuinely like this pound by pound that's creeping up over over the years. And depending, I suppose, on your clothes as well, you could, you know, if you're wearing kind of stretchy clothes or whatever, you know, you mightn't you mightn't feel it, or you mightn't feel it, and you kind of get to a stage where I suppose 
I, I, it's funny actually I had a conversation with somebody yesterday and I said like when you get to a certain stage at, at 20 stone you don't see a difference between 20 and 25 stone even though that's 5 stone like in a difference so you know as I said you get to an acceptance after I'm you know I'm at a certain weight now you know what's you know what a couple of more pounds or stones you know that kind of way so yeah it, 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 you, you get into this acceptance of just kind of pl- plodding along and you're like Asher you know I am who I am like you know yeah. it, 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 you'll never change it or it's hard to change it so yeah, let, let's yeah. get back to the start of, of the story Thomas mm-hmm. so you, you, you were sporty you, you were captaining yeah. a, a local yeah. team uh, how, mm-hmm. did it, how did it begin to go wrong for you? Um, I suppose you, you get to 18 and just life, life kicks in. I suppose you go to college, you leave the kind of the, the activities kind of, you know, not, 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 not in the path, but you're kind of doing less activities or you're out more, you're drinking more. And then you're, you're, um, I was never really a huge drinker, but at the same time with the, with that kind of lifestyle comes on, unhealthy eating habits, you know, um, so you're, you're kind of going, you know, more fast food, more, you know, and then you're living away from home. So you're kind of, you know, you're a young lad that's not, really great at cooking or whatever so you're going to be picking up convenience food whatever it is so you're kind of picking up bits and pieces and then when you're working I suppose it would have been all those canteens there so you're again snacking on you know my big thing I suppose was I could have had a couple of cans of Lucas out a day so you have one at maybe morning break one at lunch one at evening break you know and maybe one at, at when you go home so you could have like three or four cans of Lucas out a day which is you know a couple of thousand you know a thousand calories nearly just on Lucas just never mind Lucas anything else which is, exactly, which is exactly. you know, when, when I was introduced to, to Lucasade, it was essentially as a health drink when I was in hospital. Yeah, 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 the little glass bottles years ago. What also intrigued me was uh, on your way to college, you'd stop and have your first breakfast. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, like that's that's it. Like you have, you kind of like where I'm based in Freshford here in, in County Kilkenny. Like you know, you have a a hot food counter definitely between here and and somewhere the motorway, whether it be in Freshford or Kilkenny or wherever. And you'd stop and you kind of. Because be running out the door, you'd be kind of leaving at the last minute to go out the door. So you pick up something on the road, whether it be a, as I said, a wedges or batter sausage or whatever, the, whatever the mini jambons, the usual kind of stuff. Like you know, so you pick them up on the way to on yes. the way to college. You get to college, then you're in for about maybe ten to nine or so, and you mightn't have class. You know, you mightn't have classes till 10 or whatever, and you, you might have a second breakfast then or whatever. No, a sec- you might have croissants or, you know, you'd be sitting down to the lads and everyone else be getting something to eat. So you'd be like, oh, geez, sir, you know, I'll go up and get something else as well. So you're then, kind of, And then you know, if you're staying late, if you're staying late, you'd probably have to You'd probably yeah. be picking up something every three hours, would you? Absolutely. Like, 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 my routine in college was, um, your, my, I suppose you'd have maybe, probably breakfast, um, a mid-morning break snack, which probably kind of looks at in the bar at 11 o'clock, lunch at 1, which normally I would have having chips with everything. Um, you know, so as I said, yeah, I'd, and that would be at 1 o'clock, you'd probably have a break at 3, and then you could be staying in the library till late, so you'd have something about 5 or 6, usually contains sweets and crisps and stuff to tie you over, and then you might get something when you go home late, you know, if you're coming back at maybe 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, you might be eating late as well. So, yeah, that was the kind of the routine for a good few years, say, when I was in, doing the undergrad in, 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 in Carlow IT. So you kind of got in, and that would have been where it would have been got to me heaviest, where you're kind of, eat, you know, constantly doing that day in, day out for, you know, four years. So, yeah, it is a... Uh, what was you your know, heaviest? Uh, 24, 12. Uh, 24, 24, stone 12. 12. 
Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. What size shirts are you wearing? Four uh, XL, three XL? Yeah, uh, anything depending on. I suppose where you shop, it could be anything from a three XL to a four XL, five XL. Um, but yeah, it was you know in, in between the three and the five XL at any any given time. Yeah, so it's um, you know, and 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 I suppose it's the anxiety of being a man as well, and 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 having. I would personally say you're you're limited, but you're limited to, to clothes choices in a lot of places. But when you get to when you get to pre XL and above you're like I, I there's nowhere in High Street in Kilkenny that you could shop. Um, where could you shop? Oh like we have, recently we got a sports direct in and sports direct would be very good at, at picking up, you know, or you would pick up something but you you would be only wearing it, uh, Mick, you'd be only wearing it because of the fish of It's not because you liked it or it's a style or you you know, it's it literally like you know, it'd be like nearly like a bin bag on you. So you're only putting it on because it fits you. Um so that sports direct like like literally if you stood at the top of high street in Kilkenny, there's not one shop you could I could have shopped in. Okay. You know, and that's you know, and that's and that's you know that's hard as well because it's from a, and I suppose this is I, I would be very on on line of um, saying it any any males everybody out there but I suppose you know weight loss with males I suppose is, is definitely not something that would be spoke about a lot um, I suppose to like I went back to film world it would be very I suppose female domination arena or area so it's it's you know so it's for everybody um, not just you know um, I suppose you know the females or whatever like so yeah before before we get to slimming world Thomas. Uh, yeah. We're coming, of course, to the the place where mentally you're going to make a decision. Uh, yes. th- th- there's a couple of factors I think that contributed there. One was the booth. Was it Eddie Rockets that you couldn't yes. fit into? Yes. Yeah. 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 Just repairing me. So I point out one that you know the usual just going out for something to eat. And we said point out Eddie Rockets, but when you're at that size then and you're trying to when you're trying to actually fit into the boot and the irony of irony is that you you're in a fast food restaurant and you can't actually fit into the boot that you want to eat in like you know so um, yeah like I, I was like literally you know, when I say welded into the boot I was you know I was squished into it and I was like I could barely breathe and at the same time you're trying to think that okay I'm going to have like maybe whatever you're going to have whether it be a milkshake and chips or whatever and there, there'd be no literally no room for you to, to fit it in and, and, and be bloated at the same time in this boot and I was like no I have to leave and I put left, we left and I kind of was like Jesus, that was not nice, like you know so, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and, and it, that just things right, I suppose, have been in there and you're kind of like, you know, will it, will it, will it able to fit into any of these restaurants again or whatever Yeah, the, the other contributory factor of course was your late mum, uh, she, yes. was, she was going through major health issues and had to go for treatment yes. and that was exactly. a source of inspiration for you yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I suppose um, uh, coinciding, she she would have had a major operation. In it, I think April two thousand nineteen, and then she would have been starting chemotherapy in July nineteen. So never once. She, I suppose maybe she's that generation, but she never once complained. Why me? Never moaned once. She was smiling the whole way through it. And I said, look, if this woman can kind of, you know, go face what she's facing, um, and we knew, you know, we knew kind of long term. This was, you know, this so was something that probably wasn't going to go away. And, um, you know, and it was a case where I said, "Look, I said if she's doing this and we, we, without a complaint in the world, she's I, I have no excuses." But I suppose at the same time as well, make I would have looked at that point in time. Then I would have looked um, kind of left and right at both sides of my family. So I'm kind of looking on one side. Unfortunately, it's all cancer on one side, um, and then on that side, it would be a lot of cardiac issues. So you're kind of 39 or 38, I suppose, at the time, and you're, you know, you're 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 24 stone 12, and you're kind of going, look, 
you know, this isn't this isn't a good outcome. Like regardless of what way you go, like you know, so it said it's it's a case where you said, look, I have to, I have to, and then I said it would have used used to, you know, or it was an inspiration because it's it's a case where you know if she can if she's not complaining about what she's going through, and so they had no excuses. Okay, so th- there's the inspiration. Let's let's do mm-hmm. it. Let's do it for mom and all, yeah. and all, all that she's gone yes. through. But now yeah, exactly now you're of a size that you you know you can you can barely walk, not to mind run. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, so, yeah. so that's where Slimming World came in, and that's where you shared the. I suppose the first goal would have been, uh, would have been get down to twenty. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. Like I, I wanted to get back some way active, um, but I knew my, I knew myself. Like you have to set yourself small, and and I, I can't stress this enough. I suppose to anybody that's listening, it's not a case that you're going to go down overnight to losing twelve stone. It's a case where it's only, you know, it's gradual, um, and and day by day. So my first, I suppose, I set a small, in, well, an interim target to get down back to under twenty stone to try and get to to, to some some level that I can kind of build up a bit of light activity whether it be walking, hiking or even back to running. Um so that was my that was my first goal. Um to get down to to get down to twenty stones from a twenty four stone twelve I suppose. How long did that uh, actually take? Um just like, uh, I would say on average maybe about six months or so. But that was that was that was very rigid. That would have been very rigid. Um like I said at the start when I started but similarly I set myself a year um with just the blinkers on, no takeaways. I would have been very rigid with myself mm-hmm. because you know it's 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 um but yeah, I would have said it was six months or so. Okay, t- t- tell me about the food changes. And I know you believe that the the positive impetus comes from the shopping trolley, not from not, you, yes. know, you, you don't fill your cupboard with rubbish and expect to succeed. No, 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 definitely not. No, look, as I said, like, and I said on the podcast, like, it, it start, it literally starts as your shopping trolley. Like, there's no, there's no two ways about it. I mean, if you're, if, if, if you're buying rubbish, and I understand, I suppose, a lot of people have families and kids and stuff, so there, you could be buying for, you know, multiple different, um, people in the house or whatever, but I, as I said, like, if, if, if it was a case that I was buying stuff, I know it's only one way it's going, and it's just going into my mouth, so I, I would have to, you know, leave, leave it aside. I would have changed, I would have swapped out. I would have ate a lot of fruit. Um, do you know a change? And if you wanted, to, if I wanted a snack, I'd have mandarins there to, you know, to to have a quick snack as kind of like a sweet hit or whatever. Um, so and, and little changes like that, bit by bit, bringing your bringing a little bag with you. Maybe if you're going out somewhere, putting a few bits of fruit into it, and then just having that as a snack rather than turning around to the shop and picking up a bag of wedges or you know whatever it is, a bar or whatever whatever it is. I said just to be kind of that bit prepared, so you're not, mm-hmm. you know, you're not. You're not constantly snacking on this junk food yeah, that you on, on the basis you, you, you can't today. you can't outrun a crappy diet. No, no, absolutely not. No, and that's 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 a, 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 a nutshell. You, you definitely can't, um, and I'm definitely testament to that. Okay, so um, I, I don't have much time left now, but you were wearing three sure. XL, four XL, uh, yes. and now you're down to medium. You've lost the yes. uh, the weight of a of a small person. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, where did the skin go? It, it, there's a small bit of loose skin, um, and a small bit. But I, because I was kind of ramping up the exercises and kind of going into going from walking to running five k to running ten k, and you know you're running up to twenty, you know you're running up to half marathons now. So it's a case where, and I would swim a lot um, and cycle a lot as well. So I, I kind of coincided with the exercise with the diet, 
um, and and kind of done done both hand in hand. And I found that I because I was doing that kind of building up this healthier lifestyle gradually. I I, I felt that they burnt a lot more than say if somebody just done the diet dieting for for first day. Um, and I, you know you do have a small bit of excess skin, but you definitely take the body you have now over the body you had then, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so you're probably consuming seven eight thousand calories a day. Uh, at, the, yeah. at the start of this endeavour, uh, um, you know, and and when you exercise and eat less, of course, your stomach gets smaller. Did you ever consider yeah. gastric bypass or sleeve surgery? Um, no, I suppose, and and that's some people take that route, and it's it's it's, it's brilliant, I suppose. Well, I wanted to kind of, I wanted to go down the route of doing this uh, as naturally as I can because my diet was what needed to be overhauled uh, regardless of anything else so I wanted to change it like with the, with the way it's, I suppose the world works it, it's it, it, for me it works as a long term basis like this is a, not, a, not a 6 month or a 12 month change this is like a, a lifestyle change for, for, for the years to come and with the exercise as well so that was my route I suppose I wanted to kind of you know, ingrain into you that this is this is this this can be done, and it can you know it it, it can be changed. But it's something I never would have considered. I suppose I wanted to try and do it naturally and put the head down and kind of just go for it and see where I get. Um, and thankfully, I suppose you, you you know you get to all your little interim targets, whether it's down to twenty. And originally, I would have liked to get to sixteen to one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're kind of at sixteen. You're kind of go, Jesus, I can push this a bit more. Like you know, so you're getting down again. You know, you're going from an XL top then down to maybe a large and into medium eventually and you're kind of yeah. you know I know you're and, and, and it's, it's not a situation where you can say well I'm cured now and go back to all your old bad habits no, absolutely absolutely like look I have I still have the, the habits are still there like you know as I said and it's just the case to, to kind of you know be prepared and kind of you know just eat to just try and eat, eat eat healthily and you know you can have your little breakouts whether it be a, a day in the weekend or if you're going away for a few days we're all look we're all human as I said and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no different um, but it's just a case to where where to build in the habits and you know start today um, I mean, look. As I said, it's it's a case where if you want to if you want to start, it's 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 easy to change little habits, um, and you know, bit by bit, and they'll become kind of your everyday routines. Then, yeah, I, know, suppose, so. I suppose the indeterminate or the immeasurable factor is uh, the positivity mentally. Um, could yes. you could you maybe estimate how, how much better do you feel? Oh, 200, 300%. Like I, I, I'm like I'm back from the pool now, and I'm going kayaking in the morning and stuff. Like. I suppose even mentally, like you, you do so. You are so restricted in what you could do activity wise. Um, you know, I couldn't fit into roller coasters in Tor Park. You know, two or three years ago, because I was I was that size that I couldn't actually go on a roller coaster. Now we can do any activity I want. So I mean, the the the, the positivity in that alone is is amazing to to know that you're not restricted from society, um, because you're a certain size, um, where unfortunately I was, you know, two or three years ago. Um, so even for that, um, you have much more confidence, um, in yourself. Like you know, you kind of you're not afraid to see or catch a reflection or whatever in in a mirror or in a window, a shop window. Or Whereas years ago, you'd, you'd and the shame of seeing yourself looking back at yourself, you know. So, sure. um, you know, and that's 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 I suppose that just comes with being that size and not happy. You know, you'd be happy on the outside, but not really happy on the inside. Yeah, you can you can be followed Thomas on Instagram at Weight of My Mind IRL at Weight yeah. of My Mind IRL. You give hints and tips there, do you? 
Yeah, I just put up my daily routines and you know, for what I'm what I'm eating, what I'm what I'm doing and stuff like that. Um, you know, and as I said, you know, anybody is welcome to follow me or send me a message if they're struggling, whatever. You know, as I said, I'm happy to chat to anyone. Um, you know, that's 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 struggling because it's it, look, it's 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 a it's a thing that's it'll be constantly in our lives. Like you know, everybody struggles with weight from time to time, so it's a case where look, you know, I'm no I'm no different. As I said, and you just have to kind of keep try and keep focused and keep on track. Well, you are different in that you persevered and what was an amazing yeah. 18 months. Thomas, thanks very much. Thomas Fortune. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. And it's at Weight much. Off My Mind RRL is where you can find Thomas on Instagram. Thanks, Thomas, and best Brilliant. of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mitch. Cheers. Right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And I forgot to ask Thomas about his conquering of Caron Tool, uh, which he did as well. And that's another uh, list, uh, one to add to the list of achievements. And let's get back to the baby on the plane email and uh, all of the social media commentary over the weekend and it's coming in now hot and heavy as well on our text line on 0868 Wouldn't it have been better for her to offer to help you? We've all had situations where our children have cried or acted up at awkward times. It isn't easy if you're on your own trying to calm an upset child down without having some uh, one trying to make you feel worse says Eleanor. That happened a couple of times on flights I was on and I got up and asked the mom if she needed a break and I took the child. God love her, she was sweating trying to calm the baby down in a few instances. I woke the baby and rocked her, and it didn't take long to get her sorted. I think the baby's sense is that mom is stressed. This woman should have been more understanding, said Bernie. Some people are very sensory, and often screaming can make them feel very anxious. However, if this is the case, the individual needs to come prepared. There are great noise-cancelling headphones you can get if screaming is hard for you. It is for me. I have trauma where loud noises really rattle me. I certainly wouldn't blame a child, though, or a mum. I just put my earphones on. They are at the top of every trip priority list before travelling, says Lauren. Uh, When I had my son 16 years ago, I always used to get get the bus into town as I wasn't driving for the first couple of months. You get the odd remark from people, mostly the elderly, about the buggy taking up too much room as I was mostly on my own. I could never take my son out of the buggy, hold him and fold the buggy, so I used to just stand at the side of the bus, never in anyone's way, but you would get these snide remarks from women from time to time. It got so annoying. I stopped getting the bus and would walk everywhere. Mind you, I lived in the north side, so it was all uphill, which wasn't nice, especially when it was torrentially raining. Uh, people can be so cruel, women especially, who probably have had children themselves, Ignorance at its best doesn't help. That poor mother was stressed up to her eyes and there was absolutely no need for the abuse she got. It would have been more in her line to help the poor woman instead of criticising her, says Christina. Look, to call a spade a spade, babies crying on planes is head-wrecking. But it's not your fault or your baby's fault. That should have been more mature. Uh, That woman should have been more mature about the situation and just shut the hell up says uh, Jasmine. Let's get to one or two more. Uh, That happened to us a few years ago on a flight to Lanzarote. Our youngest was a baby and his first time on a plane and he cried and cried and people were getting annoyed. But in fairness, there was a woman who was trying to help, telling us what we should do to try and soothe him when nothing was helping. I laid him in my lap and a man directly behind my seat grabbed my son's hands and started rubbing it. And he did that until we landed and it had actually sent him to sleep. I've never been so grateful to a complete stranger. I'll never forget it, says Nicola. Your calls and comments are welcome. one 850 by phone or 0868-104-106 by text. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. 
Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And we've got a great competition on today for Photo Wildlife Park. You can enjoy a day out with your little monkeys at Ireland's wildest attraction, Photo Wildlife Park. To get your hands on the passes, you'll need to get your singing voice on display. And I'll talk a little more about that uh, in a few moments' time. But first to our phone lines and to Gronia on line six. Hi, Gronia. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. You want to congratulate uh, our last caller there? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible thing to do, even just mentally, to make the changes so hard, you know? Have you been down that road yourself? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think, you know, I don't think I had um, as as much of a job on my hands, but, you know, it's uh, it's still to make the decision to do it is the is the thing, and then to stick with it, you know, because it's easy to just say, Ash, I'll try again, I'll do it yeah. again, you know? So just to actually stick at it, I think, and even when it's tough, and it does get tough, you know, it definitely has its... Uh, yeah, you raise, raise an interesting point there, Gronia, because with other substance dependencies, you know, you, you, you have to kind yeah. of, if you're addicted to something, you have, you've got to give up one thing for everything. Yes, yeah, um, absolutely. You can't give up food. You can't. You, you can't give up food, so it's so easy to, to relapse, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, it is. And I always say, it's like, an, it's like an elastic band. Your old habits, they're like an elastic band, just pulling you back. All the time, you know, it's like they have that kind of a hold and they just kind of pull you back if you're not careful, I suppose. And do you find if you're traveling, it's hard to get good quality, healthy food on the road? It's, 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 it, 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 there's a predominance of fast can. food. It can be, it can be. No, I mean, I will say places are better. You know, you will see places now with salad bars and, you know, you can, I mean, I, I would like to always, if I go out for the day with the lads, I would bring something. You know, I mean, I've been, <laughs> I've been known to sit in supermax with my bowl of salad. <laughs> you know, I mean that I am shameless. Like I don't care. I will sit there with my bowl of chicken salad or whatever, and I, I will have it. I, because I, I knew I needed it. Because I knew if I started back with the old habits, it would, it, it could get away from me. To tell me about your story and how much you lost. Well, basically, I have. Three kids and three dogs and my house is like photo half the time except I don't charge an entrance fee, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, other than that, it's just busy, busy all the time. And, you know, it's so easy to forget about yourself because you tell yourself, oh, I'm busy looking after everyone else, I haven't time for this. You know, you're so busy kind of focusing on other people that you kind of go, I oh, know, I'd look at, I'll sort myself out after, I'm looking after everybody else now. But there comes a point where you have to look after yourself because that's not going to work. If you want to be able to look after the rest of them, then you have to mind yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's the point I certainly got to, you know. Okay, and, and w w when did you arrive at the mental decision that I'm going to lose... Or did you have a target? You're going to lose a it, few stone or whatever. It was just over two years ago. It was um, April, not last year, the year before. It was a month after my birthday. And I kind of said, you know what? I'm not going to another birthday like this. I want to see a different um, reflection in the mirror after, you know, at, at, for my next birthday. And I really don't, like, I mean, I'm not somebody who focuses on my image or how skinny I am or because I don't think that's the value of a person. You know, I don't, I really don't. I don't think that's how people should value themselves or anybody else. But you should still feel comfortable in your skin. Mm -hmm. And for me, I didn't. 
you know, I mean, to me, I, I'm more sort of, are you, are you a good person? Are you, do you, do you try your best to help other people make the world better than it was when you got there? You know, but you have to feel comfortable in yourself in order to do that, I think. And I didn't. I, I didn't. I just, I had to face it. I had to say, no, I actually don't feel comfortable anymore. I don't like, feel like I'm doing myself justice. And I don't feel like I'm doing my family justice because I have three boys. They're all busy. They're all up at the rugby club. They're all go, go, go. And I need, to, I have to be able to keep up with that. I just have to. Okay. You know, do, do you want I to could, reveal where you were and where you're at now? On your journey? Hello, Gronia. Seem to have lost Gronia there. Uh, okay, we'll try and get Gronia back. And uh, while we are, let's mention our Photo Wildlife Park competition. We have a daily prize of a Photo Wildlife Family Pass for two adults and two kids. And you can enjoy a great day out with your little monkeys at Ireland's wildest attraction, Photo Wildlife Park. So here is what we call the mechanic. Okay, nothing to do with your car, but this is how the competition will work. To get your hands on the passes, you'll need to put your very best singing voice on display by singing The Lion Sleeps Tonight and try your hardest to hit all of those high notes. The person who's singing is judged to be the best will win the family pass. Okay, so we're going to give you a little taster of what you need to try and copy to win these passes. And you'll be a hero to your kids uh, if you can if you can pick these up. So here's the photo competition. This is what you need to copy. That should be a bit of fun. Photo Wildlife Park, Ireland's wildest attraction. Uh, you can check it out at photowildlife.ie and we're advised that pre-booking is essential. Online booking will be open seven days in advance and fun is never very far away at Photo. It's the perfect day out in East Cork and you can even book a guided tour with experienced rangers. Let's see if we've grown you back. Hi, grown you. Hi, Emek. How are you? I don't know what happened there. Do, uh, what I was no. saying is, do, do you want to reveal where you were weight-wise and where you are now? Well, I was just in and around the 20 stone. Wow, Okay. In and around it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would never have stood in a scale. I didn't want to know. Mm. It's very easy to just say, ah, sure, I, no. I, I didn't want to know. You know, but you have to take ownership. You have to. You know, to be the person you want to be and that you want your kids to see. And, you know, I'm looking at them and their learning habits from us. You know, they're looking at me and what I do and their dad and what he does and my mom and, you know, all the people around them all the time and... They're looking at you for guidance and to see what how you do it. And I didn't want to pass on. I mean, look, we all have bad habits. It's none of the same. But it, there's degrees, you know. Mm. Th- Thomas said he used Slimming World to get him into the kind of zone where he could maybe allow the exercise to take over while still, of course, yeah. being cognizant yeah. of, of his daily dietary requirements. Absolutely. What route did you take? I, funnily enough, that's actually what I did. I had two or three friends who were who had had... Well, very good, you know, success. And they were still out and they were still having their takeaway and they were still having their drinks. And I was kind of going, oh, I'd, li- I'd like a bit of that. <laughs> that mm. looks like it might work for me because like, I love food. I would be the first one to tell you I am the one at the dinner table going, don't even attempt to take that off the table <laughs> because, you know, it's it's good. I mean, I, I couldn't ever go down the gastric band route because I just like for it to sit at the table and have a dinner. You know, and I don't like the idea of surgery if there's a way to avoid it, because with every surgery comes a risk. And, you know, for me, OK, yes, it was a slower road, but it was the right one. 
that's just me. It's not for everyone. But for me, that was the right road. And you lost? Seven and a half stone. Wow. Over yeah. what length of time? Um, just a shade over two years. If it went one week into the two, into the second, over the two years. But literally, yeah, just about, um, just about two years, yeah. Okay, and the loose skin? Very little, thankfully, because I, I, as I say, I have three dogs and three dogs need walks, you know? Mm. So just by doing a small bit of exercise and staying not, I mean, not, I won't be running marathons anytime soon, but it's just to stay active, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just to be a little bit aware to stay active. And yeah, I mean, I probably will have some, but to be quite honest, compared to where I was, I couldn't care less about it. To be quite honest about it, it's not something, maybe it will bother me down the road. I don't know. But considering where I was compared to where I am, it, it there's no comparison. Okay, so compared to where you were, what what habits, for the better, I suppose, really, we're con- trying to concentrate on, what habits have you imported into your life now that will stay with you for the rest of your life? Sitting down and actually having a, a meal. I am a grazer. I am the first one to tell you I would graze my way to every cupboard and the fridge before I sit down and eat something. And you're not full. Mm-hmm. You know, psychologically, you need to sit down with something in front of you for you for you to register you have eaten in, in, from my experience so that's the first thing trying to make sure even if it's just some fruit and a slice of toast or something just to say well that's breakfast you know and just to monitor to be aware of the snacking and you know to try and make make best the best choice you can when you can yeah i guess a lot of people are working home during the current restrictions that's and it. in the pandemic and, and and the fridge and the cupboard is always very very mm-hmm. close by isn't it Absolutely, absolutely, it is, you know. And my rule of thumb is if I don't buy it, I can't eat it. Now, I mean, that's very easy to say, but with three boys and a husband and three dogs, there's always snacks. There's always, if you really would look hard enough in my house, you'd find something. Okay. But I just have to have the discipline to not buy the things for me. I'll you, buy you, the still things buy them, like. you still buy them, though. Oh, yeah. Though. Oh yeah, but I I take I could take or leave crisps. I'm not a crisp. I, like there's a bag open, I might rob one. But they're crisp people, so that kind of suits me. You know, they'll go for the crisps, whereas I'd be more chocolate and you know bags of Haribo and stuff like that. So uh, and, and like I Thomas, really is, is, is there a lot of fruit now? Is there a lot of fruit in your yeah. diet? Yeah, I mean, God, we could fill the fruit bowl three or four times a week because all my lads are fruit eaters too. You know, mm-hmm. so it it's sort of, yeah, that is something that's constantly on the go. I'd say this, I, I, my own parking space in Aldi, I'd say at this stage, just from, just from restocking and stuff like that. But you know what? That's a good complaint too. Mm. And, and, and life is obviously much better now. And, and I also asked Thomas about, you know, the mental positivity. Where are you mm. at? How do you feel about yourself, about your achievement? Much, yeah, I mean, much better. You kind of feel, okay, this, I could do it. You know, it gives you a sense of an achievement because for a long time, I kind of went, Asher, what's the point of me trying that? Sure, I couldn't do that. You know, you hear stories like Thomas on air going, yeah, I lost X amount of stone and, you know, I feel great. And I'm kind of going, yeah, that's great for you, but I couldn't do that. I will be the first one to tell you I was the one listening to that going, no, that I could, no, that had never worked for me to go back on. But when you realise you can do it and you see that first half stone come off and that second half stone, and I think too, it's about surrounding yourself with the right people and having people who will support you. I mean, I'm very lucky. My husband is like a greyhound. He could eat. I mean, you know, he burns it off as quick as our lurcher greyhound. You know what I mean? <laughs> she is, they're burning it off at the same rate here. like. But 
you know, and that's great for him. But he was so supportive. He was totally on board. He was like, right, I'll eat the dinners. Because they're normal dinners. There's no difference. It's actually no difference. You know, and he's eating those and the kids are eating them. And, you know, it's support around you too. And as I say, I did join Slim and World and the support from the group here in Cove is incredible. Like the girls are, and some of the, and there's, there's, there's men there too. <laughs> we have plenty of men in the group too. And, you know, there is great support. Okay, and so you, you've, you've, you've gone grown you from someone who, who was thinking, no, I can't do that, I'd never be able yeah. to do that, to ringing yeah. a radio station out because they say, yeah, I did yeah. that too, I did it too. That's it. You know, I want everyone to feel like they can. I mean, I'll give you an example. I, my mom, look at me, she, she would throw out the bite you were about to put in your mouth. She is deadly. Like, she's just, she hates clutter, she hates anything hanging around the house. It's gone. It's in the bin. She found a Deb's dress belonging to me, which we were all shocked about because she hadn't gotten rid of it. But I said, for the laugh, I am going to try it on. I mean, it is not yesterday that I had my Deb, believe me, okay. and it fitted. It, it fitted. fitted. How did that it feel? It zipped up and it fitted. How did that feel? It fitted me better than, than it did when it was made. It was a friend of my mom's made it for me, you know. I'd say that's why it didn't get the dump. But it's the only thing that saved it. But it actually, I couldn't believe it. My son came up and I was like, what do you think? And he was like, well, mom, I think you're a princess. Only princesses are blonde. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it was a calm. Is it something you'd wear out or has fashion uh, changes not been kind to you? You know what? If you had a black tie ball to go to... It, you actually could wear it because it's one of those kind of classic styles that doesn't really date. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I noticed yeah, two things. You said, you said you're, from, you're you're calling from Cove, but you also said the word yeah. look at. Look, look at yeah. does, look at is not said by Cove natives. Where are no, you from? I'm from I'm from Waterford, Mick, where we also say Shellakibuki. Like oh, the Shellakibuki. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, that's a real Waterford one, no Shellakibuki. Yeah. Nobody's confirmed if I'm right or wrong about the Shellity horn. I think I'm right, actually. Shellity, I think you are. Shellity My horn. husband, who is from Cove, has informed me that there are forty diff, forty thousand different types of snail, and not one of them is called Shellakibuki. <laughs> Shellakibuki. Yeah, no one. But, yeah, that is, right. it is. I think you are correct in that, yes. But it Shelly is Horn. definitely a odd thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grania, well done. Seven and a half stone. You've done yeah. uh, Cove and the Dacia Proud. And uh, that that is a lot to be losing. And you've done it well. You've done it with exercise and correct diet. You've done it with support. And you've done it over two years. And uh, we congratulate and you. Most, well done. And most importantly, Mick, I've been keeping it off. Oh, that's you the can, main thing. You know what I mean? It's to know that you can keep it off is the thing. Yeah. So it's, it's you're in maintenance mode now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I have a little bit more leeway. You know, if I'm up a pound this week, down a couple of pounds next week, you know, once I stay in and around stay in the, the zone, same ballpark, yeah. I'm good All right. that chap. Thanks a million, Gronia. Thanks, Mick. Talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to line one. Brona's on line one. Hi, Brona. Thanks for holding. No problem. Uh, now, you want to comment on the baby crying on the plane. You've been in that situation. Oh, indeed I have. It's, uh, and it's one of the worst situations you could possibly be in because um, you just feel as if everything else in the plane is sitting cringing and wishing they were somewhere else uh, when your baby's screaming its head off, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I just feel sorry for that poor lady. Um, she was travelling on her own. Um, we we travel a lot with our, with our daughter and our three grandkids and um, it's just a, a nightmare. And there's not a lot of help in the airports for people travelling alone with children as well, you know. Yeah, is it the air pressure changes inside the plane that maybe causes pain in the baby's ears? Yeah, it's easier when you're landing. But I mean, our situation, you know, you're getting up early for a flight, maybe a seven o'clock flight or something like that. You're lifting the child out of their sleep. They're just totally out of out of sorts. You're putting them at the, the, the airport itself, taking them through security. I know you get priority, but 
it's just a, a travelling is a very stressful thing. It's like moving house. It's, it's just one of the most stressful things you can do. I mean, when us as grandparents with three kids in tow, um, between five and, and one, um, it's even more stressful. So um, I, I really don't understand why that lady was so rude to the, the poor woman, but maybe she's stressed out with travel as well. Who knows? I imagine this situation has happened to hundreds, if not thousands, of our listeners. I know it's happened Absolutely. to us when, our, when our, yeah. ours were small. Uh, and with that comes a little bit of acceptance that, look, Oh, I'd hate to be going. I'd hate to be back in those years again. With the, I'd hate to be that person now. They must feel very, uh, you know, they must feel that, that the whole plane is concentrating on them uh, and, and, and willing this to stop. But would, would you imagine that person who abused that lady was uh, never experienced that herself? I thought that initially, and then I thought, well, perhaps she's just very anxious about crying. You know, I, I don't really know, but. You know, we've all been there. Holiday flights aren't so bad because everyone's in holiday mode and there's all those children in holiday flight. But if you're on a, you know, a flight to, when there's business people on it or that, it's even worse again, you know. Um, but a, a bit of a bit of give and take. Um, we often help people out on, you know, at the airport we see them struggling with kids. We're on our own and that because we've been there ourselves. Those buggies are, are a pain to um, fold up. When you're standing on the on the, the runway and everyone's waiting for you to get on and stuff like that, it's just a stressful situation and um, a wee bit of tolerance uh, wouldn't go amiss. You know, but people with disabilities in the airport get assistance. People travel alone with children surely get, should get a bit of assistance as well with some airport people, you know. Um, there's no help given to people um, who are folding buggies if they have a, a, a newborn baby in their arms, you know, and, and that's difficult itself. And, you know, you've got countless bits of luggage, you've got nappy bags, you've got your own luggage, handbag, you're trying to hold on to your boarding passes. That's <laughs> stressful, all right. Really uh, as yeah. is waiting for the buggy at the bottom of the steps, if, if they're not quick in bringing it out, one partner will often I carry on in with the baby and, and, and leave the second partner to, to wait for the buggy. <laughs> the, the, the lucky person gets to stay here. Yeah, but no, it's just... Um, I felt I had to say something, you know, and I think um, if nothing else can say to it, that people think we would, you know, think we bit more before they say something to a parent in that situation because a lot of us have been there and it's, it's there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do. Um, yeah. And especially when they when they land, their, their ears are sore, the, the air pressure. Um, one of my grandsons, he threw up all over the, everybody on the, on the plane as well, which didn't help them. But, Listen, um, there is what thanks, it is. Thanks for that, Bruno. I, I think from the emails, yeah, she, no she sounded like a great mum anyway, so she's doing her best. Yeah, she did. She did, sounded fantastic. And, she, you know, she's entitled to go over to stay with her husband who's working over there. And, you know, times are hard at the minute. And there's so many forms to fill out now, these passenger locator forms and PCR tests be done. Travel is just so much more difficult now. Yeah, especially and, with children. And, and, all right. Exactly, exactly. Thanks, Bruno. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure she's listening okay. and she'll, t she'll be heartened by your, your comments. Thanks a million. Liam, good morning. Hello, Liam. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? What, Hi. what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I just thought it was uh, kind of insane the way that she acted out. I mean, she can't really do anything because the, the baby is screaming. Like, you can kind of just chill a bit. It doesn't show much understanding when someone says, can you please quieten down your baby? Because it's it's yeah, impossible I mean, if the I mean, baby she, doesn't want to be quietened. Yeah, you, you can't really control the baby if they're like that. Well, I don't have kids myself, <laughs> But I presume it's not easy to control a baby when they're in that mood. And I'm just like, maybe she could have, uh, that lady could have just quietly told the, 
the assistant to be moved but not make a whole public <laughs> issue about it. It's it's entirely within the realms of possibility that, uh, that the next ten flights anyone gets on will have a baby on board. Oh yeah, I've been on a few with babies, and yeah, like I know I know a couple of people might get a bit stressed, but I'm like, I mean, to be fair, we're both on the flight. Let's we have to deal with it. We can't really do much about it. So just get on with it, or listen to your music, or something like that. Yeah, noise cancelling headphones is the one. <laughs> Thanks for that, Liam. Let's take one yeah. more on the subject. And line six, it's Lorna. Hi, Lorna. Hi, how are you? Same thing happened um, to you. It did indeed. Um, so we were living in Boston. So um, we, my husband couldn't travel back at the, and wanted our daughter to see her family for a few weeks. So um, I was traveling alone. She was 10 months old. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously it's nearing bedtime, you know, uh, about 8, 8, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. So, um, yeah, she just couldn't stop crying, couldn't settle herself. And um, there was a gentleman that was roaring and giving out actually about me like 10 rows up and um, so much so that the air hostess had to actually come down and check if I was okay and if people you know mm-hmm. people were complaining about him giving out about me and I was trying to do everything I could to settle her but she did, she settled eventually but it was you know but a lady next to me said you know I was getting upset and anxious and you know she said you can't let people bother you and upset you like this because you're never you know, you'll never travel again with her, but we had to because we were away for 10 years, so we needed mm-hmm. to come over and back all the time, but it's so hard on your own. Um, you know, you're doing everything to settle them and to calm them, and somebody complaining about them, it's just terribly, terribly upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it is hard enough to travel long haul on your own without having... Your, your entire sensibility is, how am I going to get through this and yeah. keep this child... Uh, yeah. engaged, keep it active, keep it quiet, mm-hmm. stop it from crying, keep it fed. Um, yeah, you know, j- j- just keep it from disturbing passengers, I suppose, would, would be, yeah. would be the primary exactly. concern. And then when they, and, and w- I mean, when they begin to act up, it's a, it's a highly stressful situation. It is. And I mean, the air hostesses were incredibly, they were incredible. They were so kind. They were wonderful. You know, if I needed to use the bathroom, they, you know, they held her and, you know, everyone, you know, they were very nice in doing as much as they possibly could, you know, because people understand. And I think, yes, the air pressure and the, the baby's ears and that all happens. And like that, like that poor lady, I mean, you know, we travel, you know, out of necessity a lot of the time. And, you know, that was a necessary trip that I had to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't always have your partner with you. And I think, you know, people need to just... Um, yeah, you know, give that lady a bit of credit. God love her. I mean, Boston was hard, hard enough because it was during the night and it was a longer flight. Um, but the lady, ne- lady next to me said, you know, you can't let people upset you like this. And from that day forward, any flight I ever got on, I just put my head up, held my children, and I never got a crossword said to me because I wasn't going to accept it. You know, you just... I think having it for your first child, you're not really... Um, you're not as confident as you have your second. Yes. So. <laughs> All right, Lorna, well done. Thanks a million. Bye-bye, thanks. Thanks, bye-bye. Now, the team just got a call from uh, somebody uh, showing a certain amount of aggression. Uh, a woman saying she thinks it's some sort of child cruelty, her words, taking a baby on a flight. Uh, she also added, are people that desperate for a holiday? Shame on them. Well, showing aggression to the, t- uh, the team here and hanging up the phone. Shame on you. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM.
And in the next hour, we'll open the lines for our Photo Wildlife Family Pass competition. Two adults and two children enjoy a great day out with your little monkeys at Ireland's wildest attraction, Photo Wildlife Park. This is what you'll need to do. Uh, we're going to play you this uh, Lion Sleeps tonight. We're going to ask you to emulate that. Try and copy it as best you can. High notes and all. Uh, and let's see if you can do it. So this is the part we want you to copy. Here it comes. And we'll open the lines in the next hour. Please don't call us just now, but get practicing, okay? And uh, whoever's singing is judged to be the best will win the family pass. 100 acres of animals, including Asian lions, Sumatran tigers, giraffes, kangaroos, and so much more. Family pass up for grabs each day this week for two adults and two children on the Neil Prendival Show from Photo Wildlife Park, Ireland's wildest attraction. Uh, Rachel is on line one. She had some wild attractions herself. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Now, you, you've been on a few times. I can't quite remember if I spoke to you before. Was it, or were you on with uh, just Neil? I think it was just Neil, yeah. Is it okay? Now, c- can we, in that sense then, uh, because I'm not too familiar with your story, can you just give us uh, a quick overview uh, of what's brought you to today and, and, and you moving to emergency accommodation? Yeah, um, so I suppose it's about two years ago now, um, when it first started, there's a rat infestation infestation in um, the block I'm living in. At the start, we could just hear them through the wall, crying, scratching, like running. Um, I rang and I rang, nobody came out, nobody, like it was about 16 months in when they eventually took any bit of notice of me. Um, they came out. I, I moved that at that stage. I moved out twice already up to my mum's house with my two kids because obviously we were we were petrified, um, and that was just at the noises and stuff. They came back then. Um, they set traps. Um, they, those traps that they set down, they didn't check for like six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. And actually, why they why they actually came back to check the traps in the first place is because I was after getting onto Neil and I was after being on air, so that caught their attention. Um, so when they came out then they found nothing in the traps um, and they basically said there's nothing we can do These it's a block of apartments like duplex apartments that have no attic and they were like look this is just an open block they have the run of the block there's nothing we can do basically um, which obviously was no good to me or my two children um, like that and I went up and stayed my mum I stayed my mum's house for months that like last year um, January, to Fe- January to December I was out of that house for seven full months because wow. of what was going on then in um, March of this year, um, I was in the house on a Saturday. That was the last time I was on Tanil. I was in the house on a Saturday night getting ready to go to my mum's because the kids were in their dad's and I don't stay there on my own. And just as I was getting ready to go, I was in the kitchen. I turned around to get my handbag and there was a rat running around the kitchen. That was the first time I've seen one in the house. Um, again, I was on Tanil again about that because I had to leave. Um, so they they did send people up. I I was lucky enough that I could stay at my mum's at that time, but um, circumstances have changed. There I can't stay at my mum's anymore. Mm. I've well over. I've well outstayed my. Um, my <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, my I'm, I'm getting that impression. Can, can I read a previous communication you had with the program? And yeah, just yeah. give me a moment. This is so so unfair to be living like this for 23 months, almost two solid years. I'm at my wit's end. My kids aren't far behind me, to be very honest. I've just had to get the kids out of the house at 2 a.m. due to the noises, yeah, scratches, absurd, yeah. and crying sounds from the rats in the walls. It's so loud it woke my eight-year-old boy from a deep sleep. Uh, when we came down the stairs, there was a rat in the kitchen again. I can't go to my mam's at this hour and 
also my sick grandmother is now staying with her, so we actually have nowhere to go. The problem is getting so bad that my next door neighbour is in the position, uh, same position, we're actually petrified. This is no way of living at all. I'm never once fully comfortable here in this place. Um, so what's happened since? So on Friday, I was put into emergency accommodation because it was a long weekend. Um, we were actually put into a B&B in Mallow. I live in Farnry. Um, so it's, it's, that's completely out of my reach. Like, it's way out of the way. Um, this morning in the house, there is contractors there. Um, but basically, he told me today, the the foreman or whoever, I don't know his position properly, being honest, um, told me that, oh, we're blocking everything off now so you can come back in. But I've been told this six, seven, eight times. Like, how I don't understand how they think I can just go back in. How my kids can just go back in. Blocking everything like off. Blocking, yeah. the rats it's out like, first, don't they? Uh, Thomas Gould. That would be a... Is yeah. the Sinn Féin TD and is, is across the issue. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning. You're, you're aware of the situation, Thomas? Yes. Can I say, Mick, uh, listen, I'm just listening to Rachel there now. The, the thing about this, this is not unusual. Unfortunately, I'm dealing with eight, seven other similar cases plus racials where rats have gone into the walls of houses or apartments, into the ceilings. Uh, I've, I've known a number of families who've moved out either with parents or to family members, brothers or sisters, who've been, like, the, the thought, but like, they're I know a lady. in the house now as well, Thomas. Yeah. Oh, I know Rachel, yes. Like, I know Rachel who rang me once in the morning. The, the, the actually, her brother had brought up a rat's cage, and the rat was in the cage, jumping around the kitchen. And, like, listen to what you're describing there. It, it's absolutely terrifying for anyone who's infected by these manifestations, you know? And, like, the thing is, there's ways, you know, of having to move out. Uh, on a bank holiday weekend, the whole issue of how the council is dealing with rat infestations. And there are a number of issues here, Mick, right? Not least of which is Lyme's disease, which you pick up from rat's urine. Well, yeah. What we know is one of the reasons that the, 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 there's an issue with rat infestations is because of uh, fly tipping and dumping by, by people and by neighbours and by passers-by. No, I spoke with councillors Mick Nugent and, and Kenny Collins before I came on today and I know that uh, Rachel has been on to Mick numerous times as well and I also spoke to Ken Weldon in my office about, yeah. uh, and like we had looked for a whole, for a complete audit being done of Rachel's property there in the end of May where the council would have gone in and they would have actually fixed any of the problems that they are fixing now. This should, this should have waited until the rat uh, was running around. Uh, this should have been done when, like, we should have been highlighting this. Yes. Oh, no. And that's the whole issue. The council is, like, the, the problem for Rachel like, and say, the other Thomas, people. It should never have came to this. When I logged this as a complaint, it should have been dead with there. And then this far in isn't good enough. It's gone past the point of fucking fixing now. Yeah. And I tell you, Rachel, for people like you and your children to listen to rats. Uh, anyone who's on rats or mice or combination of both in a house, right? Uh, like, are you dealing with people? And Rachel described it there at her wit's end. Like, sitting in your bedroom, or in, your children probably have to be in the bedroom because you can hear the scratch. My kids scream and crying every night. It's really not any bit fair. I've, I've kept up my side of the tenancy agreement. Why can't they keep up theirs? 
And Rachel, can I say this now? That's a huge issue. And it, it, it's not just for this. It's, it ties into housing maintenance. It ties into uh, pest control. It ties into how the council is managing properties. And it also comes into where tenants or other people are dumping. Like, their tenancy should be in jeopardy. What's happening is the victims like you are being put, their tenancy is being put in jeopardy for doing no wrong, where the people who are doing the wrong are getting away scot-free. And the council is going to have to be more aggressive because the families I'm dealing with, and Nick, can I say this, both north side and south side, I'm dealing with families right across the city with this, feel so left out by either the council or their landlords because... Um, I, was, I imagine councils and corporations are going to use the old buy, you know, the old tagline, we're cash strapped. Uh, and I imagine on, on that line, there's very little preventative maintenance going on in, in, in these, in these properties. But, but now, you know, this isn't co- even corrective maintenance. This is emergency corrective like, maintenance. My, my question this morning is, where do I go now? Because I can't go back into that house. Well, I, 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 you have a tenancy agreement. Are they not obliged to, uh, sort out some sort of a suitable accommodation while they fix the house and make it fit for habitation. You see, the problem will be here now, Vic, is for Rachel, right? There's a breakdown of trust. And she made a point there you now that the council are up there and they're proofing it at the moment to make sure there's no holes. But Rachel is so, uh, her trust is so low now that if she was to move back in there again, she doesn't believe that it would be sorted out. Is that right, Rachel? I can't. Exactly. I can't move back in there. I trusted them 23 months ago. I trusted them 18 months ago, 16 months ago. They don't do what they say they're going to do. I've been here before. Unfortunately, I, more than once. Like, they're telling me, they'd, oh, yeah, we're blocking this off. Blah, oh, yeah, the law be fixed. So I'm after hearing it, and I'm after trusting them, and, and nothing is true. They don't do what they say they'll do. And, like, how do they think that they're going to wave a magic wand down an hour or two and my house will be completely safe because it won't be? There's no addicts in my house. They have no access in unless they want to take off the roof this morning. Maybe then. Which I highly doubt they're going to do that. I can't go back into that house. My children most certainly cannot go into the house. They're sitting in my car. I'm outside McDonald's because we have nowhere else to go. So no what, what, what are you saying? They have no access to the house this morning, so they can only work on the outside, in which case they might be locking the rats no, in. The council are, no, the council are in my house now, but like, they can't wave a magic wand and, and just fix this. I'm not about myself and my kid, Nick. Where are we supposed to go now? And, and no, you're trying to get an answer in the city hall. Jesus, you might as well be ringing the White House. <laughs> you can't even I mean, walk in there with the fucking virus. And you see the problem now, Nick, right? For research this morning is, Talk City Council are worried about setting a precedent, right? Because if I know of eight similar cases... Oh, yeah, cases, if they do it for me, they'll have to do it for everyone. That's what they're thinking. That, and that's what exactly I'd imagine what they're thinking. And I, if I'm dealing with eight cases, I'd imagine there are 31 councils in Talk City Council. They must sort of one or two issues, right? Mm-hmm. That's, so, that's hundreds of cases then, possibly. Well, even dozens of cases. And the problem with the council at the moment is a shortage of housing. And if they were to... How is racial today? And like what I, I think the council should do is they should certainly house racial in the short term until there can be guarantees given that it's she can move into the house, move back into the house, knowing and trusting that that issue has been resolved. So to me, because there I just know really, I'm homeless and so are my children. 
as of right now. But the thing is, you're not cast as homeless according to the council, even though you could be sleeping in a voluntary accommodation or with your mouth. They would still say your name is on the deeds of that house. So what we need them to do and now they this morning... that house in, 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 in Tenable last week? They wouldn't have housed me if they didn't? Oh, yeah, listen, I, I'm, I'm with you. What I think they need to do is they need to perform, give you a solution out today because you can't yeah. keep going like this. Or am I supposed to sit in the car with my kids for, the, for God only knows how long? Sure, surely, Thomas, in, in these days where public health is to the fore, some expert in public health could declare that house unfit for human habitation. Therefore, the onus comes on the relevant authority to rehouse the tenant. Rick, I have to be honest, right? And your listeners are here now listening to Rachel today and the conditions you're living in. There are people living in flat beds across the city. There must be dozens, if not hundreds of them, which are not fit for people and families to live in. But the housing crisis is so bad at the moment. People are living in, in boxes. It's unbelievable. And there's probably people going to contact your show now listening about the conditions that they are living in, the damp, drafts, rats, mice. It's unbelievable. People who might have sick children or sick family members or vulnerable members. The, the housing crisis, and this goes on to it, you have a lack of funding for local authorities to stop what's have to happen to race and her family, but you also have a shortage of funding to provide proper housing for people. Well, people should have the... Like, these are people who are paying rent. They're not getting things for free. It's, it's very important. Sometimes people destroy people in these houses. They think they get it for nothing. People aren't getting these houses for nothing. They're paying their rent. And then yeah. they're being still forced to live in these conditions. And that's the whole problem with the housing crisis and the lack of funding. And that's Ray why... You Thomas, with, this, with the houses that go up on CBL, people who bid for them are in a position where they're staying somewhere at the moment. There's houses on CBL at the moment and more is ready to go up tomorrow that are vacant, that are available for me. I have nowhere to go. Where do you expect to stay tonight, Rachel? I have no idea, Mick. My car, maybe, because that's where I stayed last Thursday. But what we'll do now, Mick, right, is I'll be talking to Rachel when the show is over, right? Okay. So my secretary, uh, Ken Weldon, my office manager, right? And we'll touch base with Cox City Council to see what plan. Are they going to put a plan in place now for Rachel? Because... Obviously, she and her children need somewhere to stay. Okay. If, if, they're, if they're up in the house, and what we'll do then is I'll touch base with Rachel after the show because, like, this is an unbelievable situation she's in. Th- Thomas, you're, you're a chocolate dollar, a TD, elected, and, uh, you know, surely you can push harder than a member of the public. Uh, you I know, should really in, hope so. In, in the areas where help is needed here. Well, you see, Mick, the one thing I have to be conscious of, right, every case must be dealt in its merit. Rachel's case it, it stands on its merit here, right? But make, we're dealing with families with children with special needs, with children with disabilities. Like, I, I have a man, I, I actually have two men at the moment who are in hospitals in Cork who have lost limbs, who can't return to their homes because they can't get wheelchairs in and out of the house. There's no bathrooms or bedrooms downstairs. It's unbelievable how bad the crisis is right now, Rick. And and vulture funds people, getting tax breaks to, to to pick up all the housing stock. Mick, 
we we looked to build houses 10 years ago that if we had built in Cork, we wouldn't be where we are now. When you have the ESRA coming out in, the government should be spending five billion a year on housing because the crisis is so bad. That tells you, right, this government don't get what people like Rachel and others are going through. If they did, they would give Cork City Council and Cork County Council the money to fix these problems, and that is the big issue here. Okay, would one of them, would one of them come up and stay in Rachel's house for a night, I wonder? Get an old cop oh, bed and sleep in the run. kitchen? Oh, run. Thomas, in, in, in the interest of looking after Rachel, because she has been leaning on this programme to further her cause, uh, can I ask that when you contact her after the programme, you also keep in touch with the production team here uh, so that we can follow Rachel's story to the end? I will make a touch base with Seamus, and what we'll do is I'll be talking... I, I just have to go because I have a meeting now in relation to a, a new legislation. I look for big formal gambling. And uh, once I've done that, I'll be on to Rachel then straight away. But what I'll do now is I'll get Ken in my office to ring Rachel uh, and to work on it while I'm at the meeting. OK. We're, we're doing all we can for you, Rachel, and we wish you the best. Well, Thomas, did you get my email this morning? Yes, I did. I did. Right. Perfect. Perfect. All right. All right, Rachel, uh, you, you may also stay in touch with the programme. I'd, li- I'd like to know on an ongoing basis where you're sleeping if you can go back to that accommodation. But maybe the fairy with the magic wand will deliver today and maybe it'll all be safe. What do you think? Will that happen? Very little safe that. <laughs> all right, guys. What I would say is we'll walk in it, we'll touch base with Rachel and we'll touch base with Seamus and the show and we'll, we'll stay in touch. All right, Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD and Rachel, thank you very much for coming on. No problem. Best Thanks of luck to you all. Thanks. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Prinderville now. 1851 Red FM. Seven minutes to 11 on the Neil Prinderville show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Good morning to Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Mick. How are you? Good. Now, you are a volunteer coordinator and you have your annual, um, I suppose, your annual effort coming up. Tell us all about it. Um, yeah, this coming Saturday um, at Cork Church, we will give out stationary packs we've been doing it for the last couple of years it's all part of the feed program so we say they're given to us by the department of social protection and they just want to reach families um that you know are in need so we have about we're going to have about three and a half thousand packs um what's in each pack it's it's, it's a a selection of stationery is it yeah, stationary pack. But to be honest, no, they're they're just they're a great pack. The stationary pack, uh, one comes in a blue bag that's up to first class. Then there's a green pack, and the green pack is from second class to sixth class. And then the secondary is a red pack, but it contains everything the child will need stationary wise. You know, like for the secondary, I mean for the secondary ones. I think last year, no, they put in like you know even the calculator, that special calculator that kids have to get in secondary, and all the hardback. Yeah, the scientific calculator, is it? Yeah, this, yeah, sure, I couldn't think of the word yeah. there, no one's so smart. But <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, it has everything in it. And the same with, with the junior packs and the senior packs. So they're just a great help to people. You know, every year there's, they come, you know, they came in a box because of COVID uh, last year and they'll come in a box again this year. But there's like a, a little bag inside, like a little tiny little sports bag and a water bottle with it. So it's, uh, yeah, we gave them out last year and they were very late coming last year. And we gave out as many as we could here to our clients and at the door. And where, where are you guys based? We're actually based in Cork Church, down the lower end of Oliver Plunkett Street. We're a food bank. It's called Feed Cork. We're here for the last four years. 
Okay. So, um, so yeah, so we give them out to our clients this week and went down Thursday. Which end of Oliver Plunkett Street is that? The Parnell Place end or the Grand Parade yeah, end? the Parnell Place. Okay. Right down the end. Cork yeah, Church so and... Cork Church. We're right next to Slice Restaurant. Okay. So all we're asking is that people would come with proof of their children when I say that now, like either a PPS card or a medical card. And because, you know, we we were we are audited, like, so they just want to make sure that they're going to the right place. We don't store any information. We just ask people just to give us okay. proof of... And you're, you're not asking for any hugely them. personal data? Oh, absolutely not. Just all, all we'll ask is your name. Just show us the cards and off you yeah, go. Pl- so, please show us you yes. have school children. Uh, exactly. bring, bring, a, bring a medical exactly. card or a PPS number and yeah, uh, after that. No, a, a lot of our clients, like we know they have children so they won't have to do it but um, anybody coming up, like we don't, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, just come up with proof of your children on Saturday between the hours of 10 o'clock in the morning and 4 in the afternoon and we'll give you the school packs. You know, if you have more than a couple of children, you'll obviously need a lift or something to carry them because they're quite heavy, especially the ones secondary. Okay, but this will take a lot of the burden off uh, back to school and the packs are aimed principally for primary and secondary school ages. Yeah. So, so not, yeah. not, not, not college age young adults. No, no. And you know something, no, they've been doing this for the last few years. Like we started, I think, the first year with 600 packs. We doubled it the year after. Um, like last year we got over 3,000 packs as well, but every single one of them was used and we could account for every single one of yeah. them. And well, what, what, do you you think the pa- I mean? what do you think the pack is worth? And I, you know, I don't mean to... Well, actually, I, I, um, I, I know for a fact we said the secondary pack was worth over 60 euros. 60 euros, that's okay. Because, yeah, so that, that's the saving that people can, can access. It is, it is. Yeah. And I mean, you know something, no matter who you are, it's such an expensive time. It doesn't matter if there's two people employed in the house, you're pinned your collar in September. You know, and I think last year, a lot of people had to, um, some of the kids had to keep like two sets of stationery, some at home, some in school. So that was added expense as well last year. And I know we said they had, people have got um, the back to school allowance, but like that would really be spent on, on uniforms and stuff, you know. So this is just a great, a great help to people every year. So and is it one pack per ask, child, yeah? Yeah, one pack per child. So okay. all we ask is that you just rock up, show us proof of your children, and that's fine. We don't store any information. I, lo- I love that expression. Just rock up. Rock up. That's it. You're more than welcome. And and again, the food bank is here as well. Um, again, you know, all you have to do for the food bank, you know, they were non-judgmental. We're not going to be... There's like a drive-through there on a Thursday, mm-hmm. and there's a walk-up on Wednesday. Because of COVID, like in normal times, we had a cafe, and people would come in and sit down. And then take their food and go. Yeah. But like you know, there was a lovely but, free cafe service. But more specifically, but, uh, it's this Cork. Saturday, August seventh, from ten to four p.m. Yes. at Cork Church. Yeah. Uh, school stationery packs for primary and secondary ages. No personal data collected. Just show proof of your yes. children's age, and a medical card yes. or PPS number. All the very best with that, Sharon. Thank, thanks for coming on. Social media, anyway. Okay, so where, can, where can we find you on social media? Feed Cork. Feed Cork. F E E D or F E A D. F-E-E-D. F-E-E-D Cork. Feed Cork. And you can rock up there, as she said, August 7th from 10 to 4 p.m. at Cork Church. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Cork's Red FM. Officially Ireland's music station of the year.
and let's try to assist in finding a home, uh, not just for Rachel uh, and her plight with the rats, but finding a home for Cork's search and recovery volunteers. Let's talk to Chris O'Donovan on line one. Now, uh, Chris, you're of CCMPSAR. That's a mouthful, but that's Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery. Tell us all about it. Hi, Mick Hortings. Good, and you? Not so bad, Mick, not so bad. Mick, we're, we, we're, we're set up in 20, uh, 20, 2001. We're 20 years, our 20th anniversary this year, it'll be October this year, we're 20 years um, in operation. Um, in the last few years, in 2013, getting, we, 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 we look for missing people all over the country, really, but our main base is Cox City and County, but we, we've been caught to searches all over the country. Mm-hmm. So um, so we're all volunteers, there's 12 of us there, there's 11 men and one woman. Um, we're, we're trying to expand our operation to take on more people because we're on call all the time, all our volunteers are on call all the time. So we're all trying to hold down jobs and whatever, but if people need our help, we're there all the time. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody available, is that what you're saying? There's always someone available, yeah, always. We, ne- we, ne- we never turn down um, a request for help from the guards or the coast guard or anyone, anyone that contacts us, even members, family members and stuff, we'll always be there. And what sort of facilities have you enjoyed or have uh, have had to make do with up to now? Well, up to... Well, to be honest, the facilities are fairly spartan. I mean, uh, we, we have a, we have a, a carnival warehouse below in the Marina Commercial Park who've been very good to us. It's it's just, it is what it is, it's a corner of a warehouse. There's, there's no toilet facilities, running water. Uh, we have a, one single plug socket that they put in for us last year. Um, like, they've been very good to us. They don't charge us anything for it. But unfortunately, with the, with the nature of what we do, there's a lot of contamination and stuff. So all that all that contaminated gear and wet gear, everything has to come home in the boot of your car and has to be decontaminated in your own house. Mm-hmm. So all the volunteers, their boots are either full of gear all the time, or just hanging on the clothes later in the back hall. If, you, if, if you're if you're on long searches, we've been on searches that have lasted 32 and 33 days. And wow. if, every time you come home, you have to dry out your gear because if you don't, it goes moldy. So. It's, it's, it's all the time and unfortunately when you recover people like you know the River Lee the, the River Lee is not the cleanest river on the planet so like it, it would be called considered contaminated equipment okay. so we'd have to decontaminate at home you know So as grateful as you are for these temporary headquarters in the Marina Commercial Park they're growing increasingly unsuited to your needs you, you'd probably be out in the street without them uh, but now's the time to try and leverage it up and get a better get a better setup where you can clean and store your equipment overnight uh, and you can't do that in the place you're in in the Marina Commercial Park Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, uh, most most of the other search and recovery and search and rescue operations have a pop, have pretty much purpose built, have purpose built facilities where they have drawing rooms and bits and pieces. We which comparable places would be like the Coast Guard in Crosshaven or the Arnale in Crosshaven, like we and the Arnale in Kinsale. We've been down to visit their premises a few times, and they have, it's a simple system, but it, it works for them. No, like I, I can appreciate that property in Cox City is. is it's hard to come by. We've been in, we've actually been in contact with um, we contacted um, Henry Crimmin. We were told the councils in the city. We got to reply some four of them. Um, so Mick, Henry Crimmin was the first guy to reply. He brought it up in city hall. Then Mick Nugent came down to have a look at our facilities. He brought it up in city hall, and then Michael McGrath, in fairness, him came down and he had a look. And um, since Michael came down, we had we've had a visit from uh, Cox City Council themselves. The, the assistant CEO there, uh, uh, Brian Ganey, he came down and we were talking. I was down with Brian last week. We met with him last week on last Thursday and it, it seems to be moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But our issue is going to be 
the suitability where you are really but I mean at this moment in time beggars can't be choosers like we, we're, we're not fussy we don't mind we, we're quite happy to take four wads in a roof and we we, we, we we build it to whatever specification we need to do to make it work for us you know because what you're doing is noble it's brave it's community serving well I mean that's just, it, it, it's all about the community for us I mean all our volunteers are like it, it unfortunately suicide has touched all of us in, in one way or another it, and that's that I think nearly everyone in this city and probably country knows somebody that or is attached to somebody that, that's, that's taking the ultimate step. But, like, it's all about families for us and stuff. And, like, my own, my own family here, like, we're, we're going out searching all the time. We're, we're, we're always out in the boat and stuff. But and when you're not doing that, you're doing other stuff, admin and bits and pieces. So it's kind of, it's nearly a full-time job at this stage. But like, we're trying to recruit people. But, unfortunately, our facilities don't allow us to take on any more people. Yeah. Okay. You know? Has there been an increase in river rescues since the advent of COVID? Well, there's definitely been an increase from the call out wise we've had 15 this year alone and we had 5 in May unfortunately we've had in May we had had 3 recoveries and we we rescued 2 people so those outcomes were good you know but we we, we recovered 3 people in May alone but we've had 15 call outs this year and like normally it kind of when it gets to April the weather gets better from people you know but you can see the COVID effect it's definitely having an effect Mm. So we've, we, we've, we, we've, we've kind of, ourselves and Penny Dinners work very closely together. We deliver hampers and stuff for them at Christmas time and stuff. And when they need a dig out, we always give them a dig out. But we've, we've kind of taken up a, a different type of rule now, which we're trying to, <clears throat> trying to make awareness of suicide prevention and stuff, you know, with the bridges of hope and, and the teddy bears. I've, I, I've seen the teddy bears on the bridges and, and, and little signs like you are loved and, and then there's smaller writing as you drive past, you can't really read it. But, um, you know, these little efforts to maybe stop people at the last moment. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so far, to the best of our knowledge, it's stopped two people. So wow. we've we've had we've had contact from um, from uh, Penny Dinners regarding two people that actually contacted Katrina to say that they they saw the bridge. Their, their families contacted Katrina and said they saw the teddy bears on the bridge, and it seemed to shock them back into, in, 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 I suppose, make them just have that that split second thought. You know, it's just a split second thought that maybe yeah, mm-hmm. maybe there's a better way. You know, yeah. So. I mean, and and I, I suppose the, the message is when you are loved, when somebody loves you, uh, then you not being there is going to cause hurt and hardship and grief and pain. Well, I mean, the reality is like we, 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 we see the devastation that it causes to families all the time. We're, we're, we're constantly dealing with families and the devastation is, is horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. And if people just, just take on board that message that everyone is loved, somebody, someone, mm. someone loves everyone, you know. So, you know, we, we, we hope that by preventing by preventing people and helping them to get help, we're, we're available twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. It's, it's a volunteer led operation, so yeah. you know. But I mean, the reality is, is that we we will answer the phone mm-hmm. for anything. I believe and McNugent has a motion in council to find a home for CCMPSAR, uh, and and we'll monitor that with interest because uh, I, I suppose before that, if there is a uh, if there is a suitable premises, and somebody's listening to this who may want to accommodate you, maybe even in the interim. Uh, would you accept that, or will you will you hang your hat on the on the council? Well, I, I tell you, no. I guess like we have we we just started. I've only met the council once. Um, that was last Thursday. So the committee is walking away mad. They're behind the scenes contacting different politicians and stuff. But like I said, we have had one meeting with them, which is which is a step in the right direction. But like in the short term, I, any help we can get, we will take. There's no doubt about that. So we, so we 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 are looking at a few options. 
but ideally a long-term solution is where, is where it needs to be because in order to grow our, our membership, we say from the one to view getting volunteers, like we're competing with the Coast Guard and with the Civil Defence for volunteers. And unfortunately, our, our, our conditions wouldn't be yeah. If you who came into our place and went into the Coast Guard station in Crosshaven or any other Coast Guard station, you got as a site. So, you know, I think I'll join the Coast Guard. They have a lot of equipment. That they, 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 well, who who equipment. buys your equipment, Chris? Well, the, the, the people at Cork. Yeah. Or, or people that donate money to us. That All, all our equipment is state-of-the-art. It's all certified. And we're buying sonars and bloody drones and we have these terminal imaging drones. That's already saved a person's life. Uh, three weeks ago, we, we only have it about four months, and it saved someone's life already. So that's paid for itself. And, uh, and do, you have, do you have fundraising events, or can people donate? You can you can donate via our Facebook page, and um, watch a lot a lot of our supporters and fans, and, and there are a lot of people out there who support us. They run all the fundraising events and stuff because they know that like, if if we start running fundraising events, there's just not enough hours in the day. We like, yeah. when we're busy, we're, we're it's flat. You're out. busy doing what you do. It's just it's just it's it's just it's just a, a busy. It's it's just a, unfortunately it's just it's just a busy with COVID. It's been very busy and like we, we we never shut down for COVID. We stayed going. So what we did we 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 split up the group into three to three different groups of four. And we no matter what happened, if one of the groups got sick, so we we kept ourselves in pods. We were always able to answer the call. And luckily for us, we've answered every single call. We've never stopped through COVID. We had a stockpile of PPE. At the start of COVID, that or one of our lads there, we call him the Jack Dog. He, he gets fellas that are that are that, are, that have stuff stockpiled away in, in warehouses and stuff. They said, "Just we're going to dump that." We, we we never refused it. So we had a pile of PPE, and we started giving that out okay, the stations, the Coast Guard, the Arnella. He got some, uh, a lot of nursing homes. So we, we emptied out our own reserves to help out the other yeah. people, you know. And like, again, we, we we take people in the winter and stuff um, to Marymount when the weather is bad. We have two four by fours. And we take people up and down to Mary Mount there to visit their their loved ones and stuff. So it's it's flat out. It's a pure community because the community yeah. gives to us, and we like to give back to the community. You know. Yeah. Well, you're doing so much, and you're technically asking for so little. Just to, just proper accommodation, so that you can further your ideals to recruit more and, and do more for the community. So that's a very noble cause, and I hope that McNugent is successful in his motion to council to find a home for you guys uh, at CCMPSAR. Great stuff, Chris. Not about it, Mick. Thanks very much. And look, we'd, we'd like to just thank Michael McGrath as well. He's, he's been very involved in it. You know, since he came down the head, look, he's been very involved in it as well. So the politicians are getting on board. They can see the value of it. And again, we'd just like to thank everyone, all our supporters who keep us on the road. And hopefully we won't for that longer. Thanks, Chris. And all the volunteers at Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery. Thanks a million. Let's go to line six. Good morning, Rose. Yes. Hi, you want to talk about your house? Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Your house is freezing. The house is... Oh, sorry, who's this? This is Mick. Oh, sorry. Hi, Mick. I thought it was Seamus. Um, my house isn't insulated or anything. I'm here since 2003. And like the lady there a while ago, I had birds in my attic. I had rats in my attic. There was all holes around the face and all that. So they done that there a few months ago. And they also changed the front door. And they had to change the back. So they told me about the insulation. And the house was freezing. Like I had, I've been reporting it down through the years. But like the damp is so, so bad. Even painting the walls as you're painting it. And I've only ever in my life used Dulux. I've never used a cheap paint. And as you're painting it, you can see the bubbles on the wall. You can literally put your finger through the bubbles. Wow. And um, so 
the engineer came out. He's asked to come out with a few things. He told me, oh, you're on a list now. And there's another lady now. She's down and she's there eight years. I said, no, I'm... And he said, right, you're the other one. I'm one of either four or six. I said, right. So I threw out my coach because the man who was dealing with it previously, I went into a meeting in the city hall. And this has gone on since I moved in, like... I went in and had a meeting. I brought in photographs and um, my coach all mould on my coach. Mould, I put in slide ropes. There were 5,000 euros inside my bedroom. The mould is coming through um, onto the inside of the slide ropes. I have to keep them open constantly. I have, you know, what you buy, um, damp traps. Okay. Damp to the clothes. So anyway... Uh, I threw out the coach thinking that they were going to come out and they didn't come out so because I need to paint the houses there's a smell off of my clothes now to be honest with you I'm mortified and ashamed I must be immune to it because family members have told me only recently so now I need to get two boxes you know with lids to put the clothes in that I use I was on the verge of getting on to oh god that's What's his name? They reported there for yourselves. Seamus, is it? No, no, the local... Um, I can't think of his name now. And anyway, I was going to get on to him. I was going to go into the city hall with all the clothes on, I, like a wardrobe full of clothes, and uh, take him in on the hangers. I stopped paying my rent. I told them, every one of them now, from the very top, I'm not paying my rent. Until the work is done, like I have the rent there, there's, I've never in my life been in debt, nothing like that. The money is there, but as soon as there's enough to like to get the insulation, that takes a long, long time. And don't get me wrong to anybody out there who's homeless, who thinks I'm complaining. So are you at the point of paying for this yourself then? Well, I'm paying for this out of my rent, except it's taken a long time to accumulate. Mm-hmm. So, um... Uh, so the wraparound is what I'm waiting for. Now, people up here are after guessing it. I have no idea why I didn't. They did do the facial software. That's where they wrap the house on the outside and insulate it from the outside. Yes, that's what they have to do because the walls are too thin. So um, I rang there now again that last week, the week before, as the lady said a while ago, impossible to get them. Um, left a message. You won't hear anything back. I am to the... Black teeth, sick of the damp, and the corner house as well. The damp, the smell, the bubbles, you can put your finger through the bubbles. Like, there's no point in me painting the house, getting the house painted. It like, the whole lot needs to be You can't paint over damp, and your clothes are stinking as well. So, how long is it going to take you to save for the wraparound if you have to pay for it yourself? And are you now, you're, you're in breach of your Tennessee Act anyway, not paying the rent, are you? But I actually, to be honest with you, I told them and I tell yourself, I absolutely do not care. They can take me into court and I can't see a judge in the land telling me they broke it. They can check up. Never, I've always been in credit with my rent. This is far. And if they do the wraparound, they can send out a painter to stand down all of my walls. I'll absolutely supply the paint. I have no problem. Like, I have no coat inside my fishing room for a month. For a month. Because There's it was no... damping you threw it out. All right, Rose, I, I, I imagine the powers that be know of you, know where you are, know what they need to do. But they're not doing it. Like, when the engineer came out, they thought it was his third time coming out. 
you know, oh, you're on the list. And like each time I was sure, oh, they're due, they're due. Otherwise, I wouldn't have thrown out the couch. Like the mold is very bad. But the mold in my kitchen, and it's literally like a solid mold, you know, that has been there. Okay, all, all, all we can do for now, Rose, is we're going to email the council now for you, Seamus and uh, Brenda, and uh, we're, we're going to keep on top of it for you and keep in touch with you. Uh, see if we can put a little bit of added pressure on to get you sorted. I'd be absolutely delighted, and I think it's the name's off of there. Fair enough, I'll go back to Seamus, that's who I'm dealing with. And um, uh, because I, I, they can't take me into court, Nick, I don't care. Like they broke their agreement because if this was a private tenancy, they wouldn't be allowed to get away with that. And I said that to the engineer. Um, like they put in the front door because the door was ancient. Mm-hmm. All right, Rose, well, we're going to email the council right now for you. So we will be in touch and we will keep you updated. All right. Oh Appreciate it. Thanks a million, Rose. Dominic. Thanks. Have okay. a good day. Thanks. Bye bye. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 104 Red FM. Very busy show today and so much to get to, including, of course, our photo wildlife park competition, Ireland's wildest attraction. We'll do this in the last 10 minutes of the show or thereabouts. Enjoy a great day out with your little monkeys at Ireland's wildest attraction, photo wildlife park. To get your hands on the passes, you'll need to practice your very best singing voice and put it on display by singing The Lion Sleeps Tonight. It's a very high-pitched one will give you a listen to it here. This is what you need to copy. To win a family pass for two adults and two children to Photo Wildlife Park, Ireland's wildest attraction. And fun is never far away at Photo, of course. It's a perfect day out in East Cork. You can even book a guided tour with experienced rangers. We'll do that before 12 midday. Now, let's go to Brian McCarthy on line one, who's launching a new element to his business called First Time Buyer's Coach. Good morning, Brian. Hi, Mick. How are you doing? Good. You're an auctioneer, per se. I, I am an auctioneer, uh, Mick, auctioneer by trade, and have been in the business over 10 years. Um, but I suppose with, with all that's going on at the moment, Mick, and, and with, I suppose, the generation I come from myself, um, a lot of them are trying to get on the property ladder, and it's increasingly difficult, mm-hmm. um, as we all know. So throughout the lockdown, different friends and, and friends of friends have contacted me and because they were struggling and they were getting their mortgage. They had their savings put to one side. They were getting mortgage approved and they were going out. They looked at a house they liked and then they didn't know what to do next. Mm, it's, it's a quagmire uh, really of red tape, isn't it? Well, it is a quagmire of red tape and jargon and, um, you know, Unfortunately, the, the rules we're presented with in Ireland is, is, as we know, a three-bed semi in Douglas can be advertised for 275000 These people are there. They go to a viewing, and the next thing they're told, oh, the current offer is 287 So um, they're kind of going, it's advertised to $275,000. we are not looking at 287 But what's the story here? And I suppose there's no one to blame for that, only the fact that, that the Irish rules are, are, are there for auctioneers like myself. Um, to to advertise a property at a certain price to generate interest and to try and guess the best offer that they can for their clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I suppose oftentimes it, it, it goes it goes right or it goes wrong. Um, but people in that situation, then I just I go through different um, bidding strategies with them. Um, you know, try and get them the best value for their euro kind of advice. I'd never tell them um, with the first time buyers coach I'd never tell them buy house A and don't buy house B 
Um, but what I'm trying to do with the service is to make their money work the hardest for them. Okay. Is, maybe, there a, is there a typical Young Joe and Young Mary Bloggs situation where, uh, you know, they're saving for a number of years, they're seeing the property market increase and maybe get out of their reach, uh, they have to borrow maybe from mum and dad, uh, and then they're kind of in the market at a limit. Well, what happens then? Are you, are you providing a service whereby you're going against your own profession uh, that does try to get the most out of a property for their clients to get their commission, I guess? Uh, yeah. you, you're, you're trying to advise uh, people on how to navigate this system. Exactly, exactly. So, for for instance, Joe, Joe and Mary um, bring me up and they say, uh, we've been approved in a mortgage for 250000 and with our own savings and... Um, the assistance we've got from our parents, our budget is three hundred thousand. Um, we'd like to live in uh, Douglas, and um, I then will tell them to go on to that to start looking, say from two forty to two eighty, even even up to the three hundred thousand mark. Identify five or six properties, go and look at them all, look at plenty of them, and expand expand the search. Another one I'll often do as well, um, Mick, is, is just tell them, put in Cork, put in an exact figure. So put in Cork and put in 260,000 and just see what 260,000 gets in Cork. And you might have to move a small bit. Uh, but they say, oh, we never realise now that that's a nice place like Grange or, or uh, you know, somewhere close by is still within the budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, when, when you say there's a lot of jargon around it, Brian, I mean, is that also from your own profession... If an auctioneer, yeah. if, if an auctioneer has the word compact, it probably means pokey. Yeah, well, you see, there's always that argument, Mick. And I mean, like, I'm not going to obviously blast my own profession, um, but some better than others at, at descriptions. And um, you know, it's it's prob- that's probably not what I'm getting at within jargon. But I, I suppose, um, I suppose people get mixed up. Say. Uh, you know, we have a cash offer of 250000 And people are coming to me going, is someone actually going to show up with a bag with 250000 And is that what the auctioneer is saying to me? Yeah, the, ca- the cash Whereas, offer means there's no encumbrance, that there's no property to sell so, so that they, they can yeah. affect the trade, yeah. There's no property to sell or there's no mortgagee, is what we would say. The person has the money available to them to buy it. And then people are saying, oh... You know, so they don't they don't understand the cash offer. The other thing, the other thing I do then uh, make, I suppose, is people don't realise that when you say say they look at the house of their dreams, it's two hundred seventy five thousand at at the moment. They know their absolute limit is three hundred thousand, um, and they're going, "Will we go two hundred seventy five thousand five hundred? And at the end of the day, people don't realise that these bidding wars like. So let's say when I'm on the other side and I'm selling a house, the first thing someone will say to you if they have any bit of training is, oh, I don't want to get into a bidding war, no, but I'll give you an offer. And unfortunately, make bidding wars are just the order of the day at the moment. You're probably not going to buy a house without bidding against someone. So just having a strategy and saying, right, this is a game. I need to defeat my opponent. So <clears throat> a, a few small nuggets, like I would say, don't ever finish on an even number. So if your absolute limit is 280, um, you know, my my advice would be to you, your final bid should be 282. Because if you bid 282, you'll defeat the other person if their limit was 280. If you buy us for 282, you'll find two grand somewhere between the time sure. your offer is accepted and it closes. 
And if someone is to defeat you, they'll have to go 285, and then you're well beaten. And yeah, you it's, 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 like, it's like an auction. Let, let's say my, my limit is 250 grand, uh, and if you've got somebody bidding for you, don't lose it for the sake of two or three. Yeah. Uh, don't lose it for the sake of two or three, but you can't let it go out of control either, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then there's look people. People are worried about um, you know the credibility of bids sometimes, and it's very very rare, Mick. That uh, like I know I might get slated for this, but it's very very rare that auctioneers. And I know most of the auctioneers in Cork, and they're all very very busy at the moment. And to be adding a couple of grand onto something, it, like it really isn't worth it for them. But people are nervous because. It's probably the fault of it's probably the fault of the system that they, there is no accountability for it. But yeah, a, a text just says here, uh, Brian, that I, I think auctioneers are gazumping the prices. They're upping the price of the house by saying someone else is bidding, and you never find out who's bidding against you. Well, you can make you you can ask the, the property regulator um, after the fact for a record of of the bidding. But I suppose it, it is a fault of the system in that. I'm telling someone else that you've bid me on a property. I can't give your details to them, obviously, for GDPR purposes. Mm-hmm. So we are kind of between a rock and a hard place there with, you know what I mean, a bid comes in. Now, as again, as I say, from a professional standard, um, all, all I would say a huge uh, percentage of auctioneers are taking their bids in writing by email or by text at, the, at this point. Yeah, to, to cover themselves would, in, case, in case the regulator is contacted. Yeah. And, and the regulator can ask them, you know, if somebody feels that, that something untoward has gone on, a regulator can ask them for the list of, of the people who bid and their contact details. Okay. And um, uh, is, is there a cost for this service, Brian? The cost, I'm offering everyone a 15-minute consultation for free at the moment. And if they feel that my service or my assistance can help them, and, and depending on how much help they require, um, you know what I mean, I, I, I make up a package for them, basically. Okay. So some people might just want a, you know a bit of advice and steer them in the right direction, or other people might like that want to get into a bidding strategy and we might make an attempt to buy three or four places. They might lose out on one or two of them, and and I kind of I'll, I'll tailor a package for people depending on how much advice they need. Okay, and where can f- uh, prospective first-time buyers contact you, Brian? Um, so my website, Mick, is uh, bmcproperty.ie. Very simple, all the details are there. Okay, an innovative service. It's it's one, uh, you know, I think will be of great value to somebody who's just stepping into the torrent of complexity uh, that is buying your first home because it's a really, really long process. Well, Mick, you know, negotiating and, and um, dealing with figures and, and that kind of stuff is something I do every day. But not everybody does, and, and it, is a, it is a minefield. And simple little things that can get people out of an awful lot of trouble when they understand this. Like I say, um, you know, people kind of put their heads down when they think something is getting away from them or whatever. And, you know, I I just hope to assist people from there. And and it's something, like I say, I had been doing over the the lockdown for people close to me. And and a lot of them kind of came back to me going, why don't you provide it as a service? Mm -hmm. But they were trying to pay me. And I was kind of saying, it's not a service that I provide. It's just... Well, it's a service that you now are providing. Uh, yeah, B- exactly. B- BMCproperty.ie. Brian McCarthy, auctioneer. Uh, best of luck with your new business. Thanks a million. Thanks a million, Mick. Cheers. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to give a very quick mention to uh, a free house. Well, it's not free, but you can win it. It's in Killarney, and it's a fundraiser for Boherbuy National School. Marie Casey is on line six. Good morning, Marie. Hello. Hello, hi. Hi. A brand new house situated on the edge of Killarney. How do you win it? Um, well, very simply, by buying a ticket uh, for €100, Mick. Um, um, 
this house is a fantastic location, four bed house worth um, 355,000 right in the heart of Killarney and um, it's uh, you can buy a ticket online on winyourdreamhouseinkillarney.com um, paper tickets, some people still like to buy a paper ticket rather than buying online, are available from Boherbui National School. Um, I never introduced myself. This is Mary Casey, the principal of Boherbui National School. Sorry, I should School. have done that, Mary. Sorry about that. Mary. <laughs> no bother, Mick. And uh, we're currently trying to raise money to build a general purpose room for our school. And um, we have 193 people, uh, pupils on roll. We have 16 members of staff. And we, don't, we have no facilities, um, indoor facilities at the moment for PE or drama or other activities because we just don't have the room. The Department of Education have funded a new classroom but unfortunately there was no funding available for general purpose room so we had no alternative but to engage in fundraising um, ourselves and um, what we did, we decided that to sell a house would be the best way of raising the funds that we need um, to build a general purpose room and maybe upgrade our field and extend our playground. Okay. You know, schools, they could... <laughs> They could spend a lot of money, you know, um, providing extra facilities for the pupils in the school. Yeah. So how, how much do you hope to raise, Mary? Well, that's it. it, it we have, there are just 10,000 tickets um, in our draw and there's monthly cash prizes. Um, we are hoping to raise, obviously, as much money as, uh, as possible. depends on how many tickets we do get to sell. And we have to pay for our house first and then, you know, advertising costs and then our monthly cash prizes. I think our draw is a fantastic one because um, we have excellent monthly prizes. To date, we've almost given away 17,000. We just started, we launched our draw in the end of April and we had a, a draw for 10,000 euro on, in June. And that was won by a lady, uh, Rosario McCarthy from um, uh, Bandon. And um, we just had our uh, July draw there last week and a 5,000 euro was won by um, Deborah Menahan from Bishopstown wow. and we also gave a bonus prize three nights stay and two uh, dinners in the Europe Hotel and that was won by Teresa O'Reard and Kilcommon and how, and how can people buy the tickets Mary? They can buy the tickets by going online to www.winyourdreamhouseinkillarney.com That's a big one They can buy tickets from the school from Bohobie National School the mobile number is 87 444-3780 Our tickets, if you're living in the area, maybe are passing through, are available from Bohobui, uh, Post Office and Super Value Bohobui. But right. there'll be somebody at the end of the line to buy these tickets and look, all the money raised is going for the children of our school, pupils to provide excellent um, facilities and our next draw, if you're in to win, it will be on the 31st of August and there's 5,000 euro first prize and we're having a second back to school IT bundle to give away, which is worth a lot of money. A laptop, a PC, a tablet and a printer will be the second prize. You've got a lot in there, Murray. You've fitted a lot in there. Thank, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks Ms. very thanks much. Great to have you on. No problem. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. Bye. Thanks a million. And we had Brian on before that, uh, celebrating the launch of his new business. There's a couple of new businesses I came across uh, on uh, my little mini staycation that I said I'd give a mention to. Uh, in the east of the harbour, businesses that were closed are now reopened. So best wishes to Sarah and her team uh, who have reopened uh, what was Murph's. It's now called a tavern in East Ferry. Great food there. Uh, Vince and Mary, the proprietors of uh, Rosie's in Ahada. That had been closed at the start of the pandemic, now fully open. Hillary and the team there are doing so, so well. And uh, George Butler and Sylvia have opened up a coffee pod uh, and you can get all things uh, sweet and delectable there. And that's uh, one of my favourite spots in the world and that is East Ferry uh, Marina. Front of house people, there are people like Anthony Collins in 
Kinsale, whom I met last Friday night. There is front of house people and front of house people. Anthony is one of the best I've ever come across. So well done to all the team there at the White Lady. And to Marie and her gang in the Salvi's Cafe. Uh, and I was in Union Hall on Saturday night. And uh, my uh, special thanks to uh, Nicola and uh, Donna Donovan. Uh, they actually got me back to Cork yesterday because I was in Baltimore and uh, got me back to Cork for the programme here to facilitate Neil's holidays. And I'm very grateful to all of them. But the, uh, the dock wall is new business, not new in the village, but very new to me. And uh, Catherine there and Trish and all the gang, it is an um, immensely um, delectable property. Backing onto the water, if you're passing through Union Hall, uh, look at the dock wall. That's a new business to me. So uh, all of uh, those people offering hospitality, surprisingly few places uh, on my trip west uh, along the Wild Atlantic Way. And we went by water. That's why I had to come back by road uh, to get back quickly. Surprisingly few places are open on the inside. Uh, the vast majority are retaining just the outside service for the moment. Uh, right then, before we take a break, let's open the lines on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six for our photo competition and see if we can get you singing. <laughs> If you can copy that, you remember the chance of winning the passes, the family pass for Photo Wildlife Park. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850-104-106. And you're very welcome to call us for the Photo Wildlife Competition. The calls are coming in hot and heavy. You'll always forget one. I forgot to mention Martin in Dinty's. Uh, lovely establishment there and great food there too in uh, Union Hall. So well done to all who are making West Cork and the Wild Atlantic Way uh, such an attraction for the staycationers this year. Now let's go to line one and to uh, Caroline who uh, Caroline Bailey. Uh, good morning Caroline. Hi, good morning. Very good. Now this is a kind of an up-tempo happy, happy story. Tell me, tell me all about it. A magical proposal at the Pride event. <laughs> Yeah, um, myself and Jen got engaged on Sunday at Cork Pride, uh, live on stage. We were um, singing with our band Sparkle and at the end of it then I surprised Jen and proposed to her on stage in front of everyone. Okay, uh, and that that's a fairly public one. You must have been fairly certain, were you? Oh, very certain, yeah, but very, very nervous. Like, um, she was asking me that day, she said, you're very nervous today, you know? And I said, yeah, Jen, I haven't sang in a year and a half in front of people. So I was And you had so much more in, in your brain. Jen, good morning. Good morning, how are you? You spotted the nervousness anyway. Did you suspect anything? I didn't have a clue, Mick. I nearly died when she asked me. I really did not know what. I just thought, like, because we haven't played, like, public gigs in so long. And I was like, oh, fair enough. She's That's a great excuse then, isn't it, to be nervous? Yeah. I didn't have a clue. I was completely blindsided. <laughs> and was was it something you'd, you'd kind of discussed? Um, we had um, in the past, but like it was kind of not something we were kind of going for. Like you know, it was just and like oh yeah, we live together anyway. We're basically married anyway. Do you like me anyway? Yeah. But um, I was over the moon that she asked. Like I, I was delighted. <laughs> now this was so, a drive-in okay. event, of course. Uh, also attended by Caroline's daughter Ellie, and a very touching sort of a uh, display. What happened there? Yeah, so um, Ellie loves the band anyway, and she was with her friend Katie as well, and um, they were just watching the whole concert, but she kind of knew just before the song, before it happened, so she got out with her friend Katie, and she was delighted, like she was bawling, crying, and like she came up on stage with us and gave us hugs, and it was just the most magical moment I think I've ever had in my life anyway, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I just didn't expect it at all. <laughs> okay. So, so, Jennifer, you got the surprise of your life. Uh, Caroline, from your perspective, you kind of had it planned. 
Uh, did it go to plan? Were you, was your heart pounding just before it happened? It's kind of a now yeah. or never situation. Right, I'm going to go for it. Oh, I was so nervous. I had it all planned out. And the, the host, Paul Ryder, I rang him a couple of days beforehand to tell him. So the committee knew about it, that it was going to happen. And then I had, like, friends. Um, I had, like, two friends to help me with Ellie. And so while we were singing the last song, my friend, because I was all seated inside the cars, my friend had to go over to where Ellie was to bring Ellie up onto the stage. And then it was all, like, sorted. And I was kind of thinking, Jen's going to see Ellie now and wonder why is she coming up on stage. But she didn't have a clue. It was her fight. Her face was just priceless. <laughs> but I was pounding all day long. I was shaking. And I was trying to stay away from her as much as I could because <laughs> I was so nervous. But it went to a T. It was brilliant. It was all so, so good. I was just delighted she didn't know. And her face was like, oh, my God, are you for real? <laughs> And can, can, can you give us word for word the very special proposal? <laughs> um, well, I kind of dropped down and I just looked at her. She was like, what are you doing? She started shaking and I just said, will you marry me? And she was like, are you serious? All she kept saying was, are you serious? It was very funny. Okay, and, and afterwards, celebrations? Yes, we did. That was another surprise then as well. Um, a couple of our friends were coming to our house anyway for to celebrate Pride um, on the Sunday. But when we got home, my uh, friend was after going into the house and setting up all balloons and um, banners and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a lovely, lovely evening. Oh, that's fantastic. We wish you all the very best. When is the nuptials planned? Um, we're going to sit down now and make a plan with Ellie. She's here sitting with us and she's all excited because she wants to be a junior bridesmaid. So. And a junior wedding planner, I'd say. Yes, yes, exactly. So she's loads of plans in her head now, so the three of us are going to sit down and make a plan. Yeah, at least you'll have time now because there's, there's, a, there's a lot of congestion in wedding bookings and venues because of the pandemic uh, that'll have to kind of get cleared before you'll have a good run at a day, I'd say. Yes, exactly, yeah. All right, guys, we wish you all the best. Caroline Bailey and Jennifer Bowler, uh, officially engaged. Can we say that? <laughs> uh, the, yeah. the, the, the love is evident, guys, and, and delighted for you both. Thanks a million. Oh, thanks very much, Mick. Thanks. thanks so much for the call. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks a million. Best of luck with uh, the rest of your lives together. Thanks oh, so much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now let's go to our photo wildlife competition and see if we have any decent singers out there. <laughs> Kathleen is in Ballyfehan. She's on line three. Uh, hiya, Kathleen. Um, morning, mate. How are you? Yeah. I'm good, thanks. Do you want to give that one a lash then? I will. Um, I think it goes like this. Excellent, well done. Uh, that's great effort there. That's one to be beaten now. Thanks, Kathleen. Thank we'll, you, mate. We'll be back to you should you win, all right? Okay, thanks again. Thanks a million. Let's go to Shirley on line six. Hi, Shirley. Hello. Hi, Shirley. Hi. Okay, give it a go. The lion sleeps tonight. Hi, um, okay, ready? Yep. Wow, again. Oh, that sounds great. You've what? 
I've a chorus of monkeys <laughs> me. Well done. If, the, if, if you're getting a little backing there, that we didn't uh, disallow that. So that was very clever. Uh, so well done. That sounded almost like the real thing. Thanks. Thanks Thank a million. You. Okay, we'll be back to you, hopefully. Uh, let's go to line five now. And Ellie is in Ballangiri. Hi, Ellie. Hello. How Hello. are you? Hi, Michael. Thanks. Uh, hot competition to beat there for your photo wildlife park pass. <laughs> Off you go. Again. Thanks a million. Uh, it's in consideration by the judges. Hopefully we'll be back to you. We'll have to pick a winner, though, and there will have to be people who don't win. Uh, but thank you very much, Ellie, in Ballangiri. Thank you. Thanks a lot. We're giving these away all week. Photo Wildlife family passed two adults and two children to enjoy a great day out with your little monkeys at Ireland's wildest attraction, Photo Wildlife Park. To get your hands on the passes, you need to put on your very best singing voice uh, on display by singing that song, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. And try your hardest to hit all of those very difficult high notes. The person who's singing is judged to be the best will win the family pass. And uh, it's Photo Wildlife Park. It's Ireland's wildest attraction. You can check out the details on photowildlife.ie. Now, pre-booking is essential and online booking will open seven days in advance. And uh, do we have... Uh, okay, we're going to consider... We're still considering... They're replaying... The, the vocals there, and uh, we will come back to it in a few moments' time. Uh, lots more comments to read from the uh, air incident. The air rage incident, I suppose, where uh, a woman who had a crying baby was chastised by somebody else on the plane. I remember that happened to me, but the air hostess was fantastic. She went to the person who was giving out and told her off. When the plane landed, I went after the lady and gave her a piece of my mind, and she couldn't even answer me. It turned out my son had an ear infection, but I never forgot the stress that day. But thankfully... Uh, the lovely Aer Lingus air hostess was very professional at her job and put me at ease, so says Sandra. Please don't let this put you off travelling again. Some people are just nasty, <clears throat> and that woman was just that. You're entitled just as much as her to travel on that plane. Babies cry. She uh, was in a completely new environment and was probably a little scared. We got my son a set of headphones when he was small for travelling, and he was very settled. Maybe look into them for next time. And uh, a spoon of Calpol before boarding too will help with the ear popping. Uh, good luck there, says Audrey. That person is to be pitied. She clearly has no empathy or understanding. I can only imagine how unhappy she must be. Ignore people like that and enjoy your beautiful baby. Uh, so says Phil. Good morning, Sandra. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Uh, you were in that situation years ago? I was. I was a, quite a few years ago now. My baby's now 26. Um, but I was actually, I was flying back to England. We lived in England at the time. Oh. And he was only a baby. He was crying. He was upset. And the people sitting opposite me on, across on the aisle, oh my God, they were obnoxious. <laughs> Absolutely obnoxious. You know, can you shut that child up? You know, keep that child quiet. It was a horrible, horrible situation to be in. Okay. Uh, and what what happened then? You were talking about a French guy, no more than 18 or 20, calling the stewardess. This was just a couple of years ago, actually, that, that incident. We were on a flight to Spain and there was a young lad, no more than 18 or 20, sitting behind us. But the row behind him, there was a baby crying. And he kicked up such a stink, you know, so loudly. You know, I did not buy my ticket to listen to a kid cry. He was a, he was just a pup. Wow. Absolute pup. He was so rude. The woman was in tears. It was, it was awful. Absolutely awful. And what happened? Was he put in his place by the stewardess or what? 
he was very, very nicely. She was so good. She didn't, you know, remonstrate as such. You know, she didn't get angry. She kept her voice very calm. She said how she would appreciate, if he would appreciate that it was a baby and babies get upset and babies cry and that the, the child's mother was doing its best, her best. And you were a baby once and you probably cried yourself, you little runt. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Absolutely, exactly. He was absolutely obnoxious. What happened at the end of the flight? Well, at the end of the flight, because everybody had heard him and everybody was kind of, oh my God, the poor woman was so upset. So at the end of the flight, when we we landed and everybody's getting out and getting down, um, nobody would let him out. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody would let him out. Every time he went to go out of the seat, somebody else stepped in front of him or put their luggage in front and he couldn't. And it was as if everybody just synchronised their thoughts, to be quite honest. Yeah, because that's kind of telepathic there, didn't he? He didn't plan that. Well, it certainly wasn't planned, no. But as everybody, as as the person at, by his seat went forward, they went slowly so that the next person was directly behind him and he had no opportunity to get out. And he was actually left to just about the last off the plane. Oh, isn't that you know? poetic justice, isn't it? It was absolute karma. It really was. He was a brat. Absolute yeah. brat. Probably the type of baby who would cry on a plane himself when he was small. More than likely. More than likely. Yeah. He, well, he was certainly throwing his toys out of the pan that day, anyway. <laughs> Thanks a million for the call, Sandra. Thanks. Oh, okie dogs. Take care. Thanks and so bye. much. Okay. Uh, and one or two more. That person is to be pitied. Clearly no empathy, understanding. Ignore people like that and enjoy your beautiful baby. And one more. My biggest pet hate is when I see people do the stare or the eye roll at babies crying on a plane. And that was before I ever had one of my own. They're babies. They'll cry. Their ears are probably at them. People need to just get on with it and offer a hand instead of being a pain in the backside. The lady wanting to move is probably annoying more people than the baby. A plane is to get from A to B. It's not a hotel, says Tom. And that about wraps up my uh, short tenure on the Neil Prendival show uh, last Thursday, Friday, and today. Normal service will resume tomorrow with the return of uh, Neil Prendival. Our photo competition winner is Shirley in Toker for her massive efforts at singing Tight Fit and The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Photo Wildlife pa- Passes for two adults and two children uh, are here for the week. Neil will continue with these for the next three days. You can enjoy a great day out with your little monkeys at Ireland's wildest attraction, Photo Wildlife Park. My thanks to the production team, uh, which are uh, Brenda Rapunzel Dennehy. We have uh, Seamus the Sniffer Wheelahan and Mark Wiggy Willington for making it so uh, easy to present the show. Mick Mulcahy saying take care. I'm back to West Cork and Neil is back tomorrow. The Voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday, Cork's Red FM.